Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to episode 25 of the I Got Ass podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Oliveira, and although I'd like to be the host with the most, I'm probably more like the jerk with the worst, um, but uh, I guess I'll let you guys decide that for yourselves. Uh, I hope you're all doing well out there. I'm glad you're with me for today's episode. Uh, if you're new here, this is a show where I strive to have and record cool conversations with cool people. No other labels, angles, or gimmicks. Uh, and I suppose that could be a bad thing in some ways, but I just don't want to ever pigeonhole myself into any one category or specific subject. I just want to talk to interesting people and learn about what it is they do, whether they be a musician, a business owner, or some other type of entertainer, or whatever it may be. I just like to hear their story and ask questions that I think you guys might want to know the answers to. Um, if you're a returning listener, thank you so much for tuning in and listening once again. You guys know by now, because I say it pretty much in every intro, but I really do love and appreciate every single one of you listeners. Um, and it's, it's nice to hear and know that people are tuning in when I release these episodes. Uh, it gives me the uh, motivation I need to keep doing them, although it's been kind of uh, kind of a slow roll lately on getting episodes out. And on that note, I bet you've been wondering uh, where the hell it is that I've been for so long. Uh, it's been about another four months since I released uh, an episode, one of these episodes. And the short answer, or not so short answer, is that life's been insanely busy the last few months. Um, it's been next to impossible to find any spare time to do any recording, you know, whether it be my music stuff or podcast-related stuff. Uh, back when I had all the time in the world in the summer and fall of 2021, I was kind of recording music ideas almost every day after work and, and really enjoying doing that. It was kind of the first time in my life that I'd been working uh, you know, in my own quote-unquote studio at home um, with, on my own ideas. Uh, and so it was great doing that, but I just, on the podcast side, I couldn't seem to find or, or have any luck finding guests to be on the show. Uh, and then as winter hit, uh, my day job kind of has me working shift work and dealing with snow and snow related things. And of course I live in Ontario, Canada, Southern Ontario to be exact. And we can get a lot of snow at times and we sort of have this winter. So I've been pretty busy with that. And, uh, but also right at the start of the winter there, I also had a bunch of guests, uh, agree to be on the show almost all at once. It was kind of weird. I, I reached out to a few people not expecting to get the, uh, the, t the return responses that, that I did. Uh, but I did, I had a really great luck. And then I just, of course, had no time to schedule the recording and then, you know, the subsequent editing and everything else that, that came around, uh, surrounding those episodes. But also right around mid-October, my wife and I could safely announce that we were expecting a baby, uh, and so between work and all the baby-related appointments and just life in general, it was super tough to find any spare time um, where the motivation to be creative was there, you know? Uh, it, it really, I really love doing this, and I really hope that coming out of the winter into the spring, after the baby's born, uh, I'm going to have some time off, so I'm kind of hoping that I can release, record more of these episodes and release them more regularly to you. Um, and hopefully I can put some entertaining stuff out that you guys want to keep tuning into, so... Uh, speaking of which, let's talk about uh, this episode. Uh, my guest on this one was Rami Cram of the band Cigar. Uh, I'm a big fan of these guys, but I I've only recently discovered their music via a YouTube recommendation uh, of their Bridge City sessions that they did back in 2020. And what a fantastic performance that is. If you guys haven't seen it, you should really check it out. It's, it's really well done. The folks over at Bridge City Sessions do an incredible job, both of the audio and the video side of the recordings. Uh, and all of their stuff is super fun to watch. But after seeing this performance from Cigar, I dove down a rabbit hole on the band, and the more I read and saw and heard, uh, the more I just felt like it would be really cool to speak with someone in the band for an episode, because I really respect and admire what these guys are doing. Um, these guys are amazing songwriters, and it was an absolute pleasure to get to speak with Rami. Uh, he's the front man of the band, and he's got a great vocal tone and style that I really enjoy listening to. Plus, he's a ripping guitar player, and he's into a lot of the same gear that I am. Uh, including owning a couple of almost the exact same guitars, which is kind of weird. Despite knowing that I have a lot in common with Rami, 
you, you just never know what you're going to get when you've never previously spoken with a person, but Rami was an amazing guest. He's a super intelligent guy, very well-spoken, uh, easy to talk to, and I just really enjoyed speaking with him. His stories were great, and we got into stuff like the band's history, like how the band met and how Rami didn't really want to sing in the band at first, uh, what led to him becoming the front man, and what led to him living out of his pickup truck when the band moved from Oregon to California to chase the punk rock dream. He told me about meeting Fletcher from Pennywise and how he helped Cigar get off the ground way back in the, in the band's early days. We talked touring and specifically about touring through Europe just prior to the beginning of the pandemic, and more specifically about a really cool show that they played right on the beach in Italy. Like, literally right on the beach. Like, they're probably still finding sand in their gear to this day right on the beach. That show is also on YouTube, and you should check that out too. It's wild to watch, and it just looks like the, they had so much fun playing that one. Um, the band also took a pretty long hiatus between 2006, I believe, and 2019, uh, and we talked about what led to that. We also talked about writing of the new music and recording of the new and yet-to-be-released album. Uh, we got into some gear talk and some other personal interests of Rami's and just lots and lots of other stuff. And so, Rami, if you're listening to this intro, I want to thank you once again. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk to me. I'm super appreciative of all my guests and the time they spend with me. But as I mentioned, I really respect and admire the hell out of what Cigar is doing. I think the music rips. I love listening to it, and I can't wait to hear the rest of the new album. And hey, hopefully when it comes out, we can record a part two episode and discuss the album's release and ultimately its success, because I'm 100% sure it's going to be absolutely killer. All right, guys, that about does it for the intro. I've jabbered on long enough. Um, if you happen to be listening to this and you're not familiar with Cigar, check out the band's Instagram, which is at Cigar the Band, just like it sounds, C-I-G-A-R-T-H-E-B-A-N-D. And Rami's direct Instagram is at R-A-M-I-C-I-G-A-R, Rami Cigar. You can hear their music on Spotify, Bandcamp, and YouTube and all the usual places. Buy some of the band's merch from these guys, too. Um, they've got some really cool designs, and I think buying a band's merch is a great way to support them and just have some cool stuff to wear, you know? Before we get into the episode, I want to play one of the band's newer tunes, which is a song titled Classic You, and they've also got a pretty cool and funny video for this one that you can, again, check out on YouTube. It's, it's really easy to find. Um, then after that track, I'm going to play the podcast intro music, and we'll get right into the conversation. Oh, and if you don't already, please follow the I Got Ass podcast on Instagram and Facebook simply by searching the pod's name on those platforms. Um, you can also do me a solid and follow my personal Instagram account, which is Surly at O-L underscore S-U-R-L-Y. Uh, like, subscribe, and rate wherever you listen to the show. And if you'd like, drop me a line via DM on Instagram or at igapodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you guys and uh, know what you think of the show. That's it, everybody. Enjoy the track Classic You and my talk with Rami Cram of Cigar. Remorse, be the 
Hey, this is Rami from Cigar. You're listening to the I Gotta Ask podcast. This one came with um, Korean, whatever, I, I forget the name of them, but they're just some like bullshit yeah. pickups. So yeah. These are, these are JB and Jazz. That's oh, what I nice. have. And so like JB Jazz and this, JB Jazz and that guitar. Yeah. Like, that's the guitar I recorded Speeded Relatives with. Oh, really? And the new album I recorded with that. It's like just such a... If I got rid of all my guitars except one, it, I, this is the guitar I would keep. I was just telling the story to somebody. I was like, oh, I, I wouldn't even hesitate because it's got like steel. Like yeah. I, I did all that just from using uh, it. I love that. And like all, all that wear. Yeah, yeah. Totally just from me. And then there's a dent in it, like somewhere in the body down here. I was just drinking a beer one night and I was playing the guitar and I was like, <laughs> I wonder how easy this is to dent. And I whacked it just... <laughs> And it totally made a dent, and I was like, "I was like, oh, I guess it dents pretty easy." <laughs> I love all that character stuff on guitars, man. Like, there's something to be said for all the nicks and marks on a guitar being done by you. You know what I mean? So the the other thing is that these tuning machines, like, I I ended up one broke, one of the stock ones broke. Yeah. And then I I didn't know anything about guitars. I was just like, whatever. So I took it to some place in Eugene where that's where we started the band and some music store. And I was like, I just need, I need to get this fixed. And so they just put another one on it, but I had to buy a whole set. And so it was like a brand new set, take it down to go record. And Darian was like, who the fuck would replace shitty tuners with, with more one? Shit? Yeah. Well, so he was like, it's the same thing. Like, why would you not upgrade those? So he yeah, goes, I'm not even I'm not even gonna record you. You're gonna be going out of tune. We're gonna have to stop every two seconds. And yeah. so he's like, I'm not even gonna record you. So I was like, Well, what I do? He goes, You just you gotta get new tuning machines. So he took me to this this music store down in Compton or Redondo or something. Mm. And he so he's like telling the guys there just to put these spurzels on. Yeah. So I, I had to put these on in order to record the album and they've just been on ever since. But nice. that's, it was just funny. Cause I was like, I had no idea that I did anything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so he just, yeah, that's, I don't know if you know who Darian is, but that's a perfect. No. It's, yeah. He was more known in back in the nineties, I guess he did a shitload of stuff with, mm. with Pennywise and well, I know he did. He's done a bunch of stuff with Don Dawkins. Yeah. Anyway. I I don't remember any of that stuff because I'm I'm still pretty. Uh, at that time, like right when you guys released Speed of Re By the way, we we are recording now. By the way, just just to yeah. make sure everything's working, and just just in case cool. you say something that you maybe don't want to say on <laughs> on mic. I always try to warn people that I've started recording. I just always like to make sure it's it's running. You know what I mean? But sure, yeah. uh, but anyway, yeah. So I, right around that ninety nine time when you guys released speed is relative i went through this weird thing where i was like just about to graduate high school i kind of felt like and it's stupid but i kind of felt like punk rock was like childish for some reason you know what i mean like i i think that's a common thing yeah I, that my some i don't tell people that i work with what i do or mm. that i play music and then when i do 
my and this is my own hang up mm. i just assume that they're going to think it's like oh it's it's dismissive like oh that music yeah. kind of like whatever like you never grew up or whatever but yeah i the reality is whenever i tell people they're always like oh that's really cool fucking right and it's more it's not even about the style of music it's more about the passion to go do something outside of work and travel share your art with people and so that, like they don't they're not uh, judgmental about the style of music they're just more like happy for me that i have something to kind of invest in my my personal endeavors yeah of course man it's not it's nothing to be ashamed of and, and i do the same thing i don't tell anyone where i work that i that you know like I, and i don't really play in a band anymore the band that i was in kind of like just fizzled out we don't really do much anymore. We, we sometimes play a show here and there but i don't i don't run out and tell everyone i work with that i play in like a in like a pop punk band because I kind of feel the same way you do, that they're going to be kind of like, well, whatever, you know, like, big deal. You play in a fucking band, who cares, right? Especially a pop-punk band, like a, a genre that was kind of dead for a long time and is starting to make a bit of a resurgence now, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's just kind of a weird thing. But yeah, yeah I, a, one guy specifically, it was in December when we were going to go play with Pennywise and play yeah. another show after that, and he was, I just was taking time off and so he goes oh you, you have anything cool that you're gonna do and i said yeah we're gonna go play some shows and then told him that we're playing with pennywise and he was like his eyes opened up and he's like <laughs> oh, i used to listen to pennywise when i was a, a lot younger and and he he was totally just like stoked for it yeah like, that's really cool and that that totally surprised me because that was one person that i thought would genuinely not care <laughs> i was totally stoked that, I, that we were gonna go play with pennywise so it's like and again, my own hang up. So I, I also need to kind of just be like, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, it's not, and especially when I make all these assumptions that have so far been incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, before we get really into the stuff here, your name's Rami. Correct. Saying that yeah. correct? And how do you say your last name? Krayam? Krayam. Krayam. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure so that when I do the intro, I don't, I don't, you know. Boof it or whatever the fucking word I'm looking for is there. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, thanks for doing this, by the way, man. I really appreciate it. Like, like I said, I I really didn't know much about cigar at all. I had heard the band name like years ago, like right, like I said, when I kind of got out of listening to punk, right when I graduated high school around 2000, 2001. I kind of stopped listening to punk altogether. Some of my old stuff was still in my rotation, but I wasn't really discovering anybody new. So right around that time, you guys really speed is relative. I hadn't I hadn't really heard of you. And then all of a sudden I see this, like, of course, nowadays, Spotify, YouTube, all these suggestions pop up, right? And I've been, I watch a lot of Bridge City Sessions stuff. Um, Murderland, who's one of my favorite bands, has a great Bridge City Sessions. And then based on that, I guess YouTube gave me this recommendation for uh, the song We Used To, that little, just the one song. And yeah. I watched it and I was like, what the fuck? Who the fuck are these guys? So, I, of course, I dive in right away and find out all the background information, find out you guys were around way back in the day and then took this big break off. And, and now you've become one of my favorite bands. Like, that sound is like you've got the, the melodic stuff. It's real fast and the skate punk stuff and real techie. Like, John's drumming's insane. Um, so, I just all of a sudden just dove into this thing. And, and then when I reached out to you, you never know how people are going to like this podcast, is, it doesn't have much of a reach, right? So, and, and it's based on the guest's juice. If the guest <laughs> doesn't have any juice, nobody wants to tune in to hear me talk or some nobody talk, right? <laughs> so when I reached out to you and you said you'd, you'd be willing to be on, it was like, you know, I was over the moon. So thank you very much for being here, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I've only done like two other podcasts or, or even just interviews. I'm sort of a, 
despite being the lead singer, I'm kind of a behind the scenes kind of guy. And yeah. so I just usually just tuck back. And so I always overthink, I guess that's kind of a consistent theme with me is I, I overthink how the interview might go or the conversation <laughs> might go. Yeah. I'll say the right thing or whatever, but I, I like the way you positioned it as far as like, we're yeah. just going to have a conversation. Yeah. And that's the, of the other, there was a, podcast i did up in quebec a few years ago same thing and afterwards i thank the guy because he's just a pleasure to talk to so yeah yeah i'm not here to grill anybody you know what i mean like i always like (laughs) (laughs) i always tell the guests that my my main goal is their comfort right like i'm not going to ask you like really politically charged questions or really deeply personal things or things i know people don't really want to talk about you know what i mean um but yeah I, i i don't uh you know i'm not trying to to put anybody in a weird position. I just want to talk to the people that I really admire either in the music industry or I have friends that own businesses. Like I'm about to, tomorrow I'm actually going to talk to Simeon from Stupid Rad Merch Co. Um, About his business and how he started that up. So, you know, I have interest in those things. And the last thing I want to do is put anybody on the spot and make them feel weird. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just a, it's a fun show. And I'm a really nervous guy. Just like you said, I was laughing when you said, you know, you're going to overthink how the interview goes. That's me every time. Like, my heart races right up till the minute I'm talking to the guest. My heart is racing. And it's whether I know, I, some, I've known people for 20 years and I'm about to talk to them. And my heart is just racing before we come on because I'm just so overcharged on how is this going to go? Am I going to stumble? Am I going to forget, you know, something that I really want to ask? Like all yeah. these things are running through my head, you know? I was telling somebody yesterday about, because I've, I've been working on a new song specifically, um, had an idea and then built the idea out and just spent a lot of time repeating just so it's in the muscle memory Mm -hmm. and I just played it over and over and over but then I was recording it to a click just on the on voice notes on the phone just to send it to John to show him yeah and and it was like everything changed once I knew I was recording and then the recording is just going to go to John just to hear the idea My same thing, what you just described, I got all nervous and I got all kind of like my, <laughs> my fingers stopped working the way they normally would. And I was just like, why does this happen right when you go to record? So like even on the new album, when we start recording, I just get really nervous. Then I kind of get into a flow and then I start overthinking and same thing where it's like this one basic part, I just have to do it over and over or just take a break and do something else but i have no idea i think there's there's like a there's a term for it it's kind of like actors when they see the red light on the camera yeah. come on then they freeze up or something like that. it's similar to that yeah i get that so same block that. man like i i've recently just within the last i don't know year year and a half started doing home recording right and and uh into a proper doll like everything i ever recorded was just into my like voice notes phone or way back in the day like in the 90s we had the four tracks right the cassette four tracks and all that kind of stuff but same thing, man. It's like I'll play a part a million times and I'm nailed. Okay, got it. You know, played it to a click without recording. Can do it. Great. Go to record. Nope. Flub it again. Right? Go to yeah. record. Flub it. Holy cow. What's going on? Try it again. Flub it. Like, oh, and it just drives me nuts. It just makes, drives me up a wall. I hate home recording for that reason. You know, I've, so I have been doing the same kind of thing, but I've intentionally been recording more just to get used to it. So when we go to an actual real studio, then it's so much more comfortable and kind of like, oh, I do this all the time. Yeah. So I've been purposely recording myself more just to get over that part of the recording. Yeah. The, totally. uh, like the mental block, like you said. Yeah. How have you been, uh, so you're, you're in Portland, Oregon now. I guess that's yeah. where you guys are from originally. 
Well, we're, we started the band in Eugene. John mm-hmm. had some guys that he started the band with. Right. And then I crossed paths with John in Eugene and then ended up becoming friends with him and then joining the band and mm-hmm. then played in Eugene for a little while and got, I guess, noticed and then decided let's go somewhere else where people appreciate this style of music. Because at the time in that era, mm-hmm. it felt like the style we played was kind of disliked. Like if it was too tight or too clean or too melodic, it, it felt like people didn't care about it. Like really? Oregon, the Northwest, it was also sort of still in the grunge-ish oh, era. yes, yeah. So there, there was this kind of like appreciation for loose, dissonant kind of you know just and we were focused on more precise execution and for all i know like i may have misinterpreted that but it did feel like we could get attention better attention elsewhere so we decided to move down to san diego and it was like afterwards we realized that we probably should have just stayed in eugene and then toured (laughs) And then it would have just been better because I think moving down to San Diego, we just it ended up distracting us and our lives. Like I didn't have a place to live. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a place to work. I lived out of the back of my pickup truck for wow. six months and couch surfed. And it was just like just that alone is such a hit to our morale and our momentum. But I mean it's it's all in hindsight. And mm-hmm. so there's actually there's the lyrics of we used to talk about what what we did mm-hmm. and how it it didn't work out or like it, at least in in our minds and the vision that we had it didn't work mm. and so that the song is about that about taking a big leap of faith and with whatever you do whether it's music or actors do it they go to LA or right anybody can have this big goal and this big desire and they make a big life change yeah and maybe family doesn't understand like why would you leave this job why would you leave this you know you have a nice apartment or whatever and then you just kind of uproot your life just to try and reach some of these goals. Sure. And oftentimes the goals are lofty as far as like <laughs> making it and or becoming an actor or just whatever the case is. And so more, more often than not, at least from my own experience, like I'm surrounded by a lot of people that play it safe and that's, there's no judgment on that. Like I completely relate to that. And so, but at the time for me, it was more like, this is something we have to do because mm. like, I don't know if this opportunity is ever going to come around again. Yeah, so it's, sure. That it's, it's just funny how like going from Eugene to San Diego, then we just split and we just lived in different places. So mm. in 2001, I moved from the Bay area up to Portland. And I've been here since. Right. And then John had been in San Francisco for a long time and then he went to LA for a while and now he's out near the like Joshua Tree area. Oh, okay. And and Jason still lives in San Diego, but he's he's focused on family and right. his career and all that stuff. And so that just timing as far as reviving the band. Yeah. And so we're like I was actually just texting Jason just barely before this. So still in contact with him, Good. still very much part of the cigar family. Yeah. Like we share with him the, like the new music. And oh, nice! So still in the loop despite not actually being in the band. So there's certainly no, no ill will or bad. We like totally understand. It's, yeah. You know, we're we're not only adults but we're older adults and <laughs> yeah. life, life. You know, there's family is definitely a, a 
a significant priority. So totally understand yeah. that side of things. Yeah. And thanks for sharing that. Cause I, I wanted to ask that, but again, like in the, in the, the vein of trying to keep the guests comfortable, I didn't want to ask what went down there because you know, there's things that happen internally in a band that sometimes you don't, you don't want everyone to know, you know what I mean? Sometimes you don't want yeah. to out the guy as a dick if he's being a dick, you know what I mean? Because you have history with him. So I didn't want to ask that. So <laughs> thank you for sharing that. I appreciate well, just it. to clarify, he is certainly not, not being yeah. a dick. <laughs> it, no. was very, it was very like, respectful and adult conversation and very much transparent as far as understanding and just having yeah. the... It's a tough conversation as far as like whether someone that you've been... Because it's it's sort of like a marriage in the sense of like you're committed to these people, this creative endeavor, and you you're very vulnerable, like writing songs and touring and sharing that part of your life, and yeah. then to bring up the conversation about going separate ways, it's a very tough conversation to have. But it was also very respectful and very understanding, and it mm -hmm. was like despite being difficult, I feel like it was a really like again, we're still friends, and it's yeah. not. And then we we did play. I think it was 2019. We played a show in San Diego, and he played the last three songs of the set. Oh, that's awesome! So yeah, it, it was not one of those like you know you're you're gone and yeah. you don't exist anymore. Very very much not not like that. So yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that because you know it, it's that's important when you have this. Like I said, like when you have history with someone and they've been in a band with you and you've toured and you've done all this stuff. How can you just cut that person out, especially if they're not? Um, if they haven't done anything to, you know, rub you the wrong way or whatever, like if you guys part on good terms, then it's, it's awesome to loop that person back in when you can. Right. Yeah, definitely. So you guys, before that move down to San Diego had, had Fletcher from Pennywise already kind of discovered you at that point. Is that what drove the move down there? Yeah, that was part of, so we had played a show in, <clears throat> The small town where I grew up, Corvallis, Oregon, that's where Oregon State University is. And so there, because it's a college town, mm -hmm. bands would come through and play there. And we played with 30 Foot Fall. And it was, it was kind of funny because they're super, super cool guys. But before we played, they were sort of like not quite as cool. But then after <laughs> we played, they were like super stoked on what yeah. we were doing. And it was like a super fast friendship. We totally hit it off and they wanted us, yeah, play more shows with us. But I had a job and so I couldn't just go on tour spontaneously. Yeah. But while they while we were playing, and this is back before cell phones, this is back before, you know, sure. digital music and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. the I think it was the bass player, Rubio. I think he ran across the street from the venue that we were playing and he went to a payphone and he called Bob from Fearless Records and he oh, said, wow. you gotta, gotta hear this band. And so we gave that Rubio after our set told us, he said, I told the label about you guys, I, I wanna get a demo and whatever. So we gave him a, a demo with a cassette and sent it down to Bob. And Time passes, you know, mail's got to do its thing. So then we get in touch with Bob and we end up deciding to go play down in Long Beach, California for like a showcase, basically. Oh, nice. And we, so we traveled down there to play. And at the time it was, um, Bob was there and he brought Jim Cherry, who was in Strung Out. Mm -hmm. And so Jim was proposed as producing the album for us. And it was pretty amazing because like Jim was like he was an awesome guy like super nice 
And I, I was just surprised at how cool he was. Um, not because of any anything. It was more right. like, to me, he was somebody that was in a really well-known band. And it, so it was kind of like, not quite starstruck, but there's an element of being starstruck. Sure, in sure. Certainly highly respected him. And so mm-hmm. when he was really nice and like, I was just like so stoked that he was so cool. Yeah. So we had the conversation with with Jim about producing the, the album. And then we had the conversations with Bob. We spent the night at Bob's house. Next day, go to breakfast. Then we're having the conversations. And it was like, John was trying to kind of connect as far as like, do you, do you like the, the music? And it was a bit of a vague answer. So there's kind of this hesitation, like, I'm not sure what the fit is. Mm. In the conversation, Bob had mentioned that he showed it to Fletcher and Fletcher was like, who's this band? And to us, that was another one where we're like, holy shit, Fletcher from Pennywise heard, heard <laughs> yeah. our stuff and he liked it. So we kind of thought maybe we should try and talk to Fletcher. And and I, I forgot how we got his number. Might have even gotten it from Bob. Bob was more like, he was sort of open as far as like, if you want to do it with me, let's do it. Right, and then right. If not, then, you know, what do whatever's best for you guys. So yeah. then... John ends up connecting with Fletcher, talks to him on the phone, and Fletcher is basically like, let's do an album. And wow. so at the time, they, and that would have been on Theologian, because I think Fletcher was working with Theologian pretty closely as far as bringing bands on. And right. He brought on the Deviates and a couple other bands. But Pennywise was going to be at coming to Mount Hood near Portland to, to play a, a big air snowboard contest. So he said... Why don't you guys come up to that contest? We'll meet in person and we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. So, so then we ended up meeting him, going up to to Mount Hood, and it was totally one of those. It was like a scene out of a movie because we <laughs> it was late at night up at the mountain and and we didn't know where he was. And then so we went to the hotel, and then we were just in the hotel lobby, like, how do we do this? How do we find? It? And we just happened to see Byron like start walking up the stairs, and we're just like, Byron. We're here to see Fletcher. He goes, oh, he's over at that bar. And so we go down. It was like across the parking lot. We walk across the parking lot and we're like, do we just go inside? We just didn't know what to do. Yeah. And as we're standing there, the door bursts open and then Fletcher was at the top of these stairs. And it was just like, oh, <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> it's just this huge dude. Yeah. Or, hey, Fletcher, where's Cigar? And he's like, oh, hey, what's up? And then so we, we went to the hotel room and and it was the same thing where there were, it was um, basically the full band and then Fletcher and we we're just having this wow. conversation. We're, we're just kind of like, holy shit, we're like hanging out with Pennywise. Yeah. And, and Fletcher's like, let's, let's do an album. And so it, same thing where it's just, everyone was super cool and super welcoming. And it was really inspiring. Kind of this, this pivotal moment of like, I guess we're going to do something cool. So then we said, okay, let's do the album. Decided to do it with Fletcher. And then, we did, I forgot the timing. It was probably like two, three weeks later, we mm. ended up driving down to the Redondo Beach area, Hermosa Beach, and go down into this like industrial park. And then it was like, we just walked straight into Pennywise's practice spot. Holy cow. And Fletcher's like, let's, let's hear the full album, do pre-production, kind of hear the songs. And it was, so John gets on Byron's kit and I'm playing through Fletcher's amp. And wow. it's just like, <laughs> another surreal moment yeah. like holy like and it, just a month or two months before we're like just doing our thing in this small town in yeah. Eugene, and, uh, and so it was for us it was like this 
really amazing experience to to hang out with and work with someone that we really looked up to and it 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 was a lot of fun and I, like the pre-production went really well just tweaked a couple little things and basically he's like okay we're gonna start recording tomorrow and so we Holy. go to stall number two and then we just start recording we set up the drums and get everything tuned up and get like all the mics set up and and i had never been in a recording experience like that didn't mm -hmm. demo stuff local people and whatever like but this was like a real studio with a real setup and multiple rooms and all this stuff so for me i was just and i also really loved that stuff like subscribe to recording magazines or so i was totally nerding out on yeah. like how, how amazing everything just the full experience it was so fun yeah it was also nerve-wracking but I knew that my, like, just to start with, get the drums, get the bass, whatever. So recording scratch guitars, it was more of like, like part of the process, less pressure. Yeah. The pressure later. And I also didn't know how to actually record a professional album. So then later on, so I do the drums, takes about a day and a half, do bass, maybe I think it was in one day. Like those guys just slammed That's through their fast, man. That's like yeah, insane. it was really fast. And yeah. this is all on, on tape. There's no I was gonna tools. say there must not have been Pro Tools at that time. Yeah, there was no Pro Tools. If there was Pro Tools, it was like super, super fancy. new. Yeah. Yeah, and, and only like really high end studios had it and right. like, so it, it, we knew it existed, but they had just tape machines. So mm -hmm. then when it came to time for me to do my stuff i didn't know that it was like left guitar right guitar yeah. and that lead parts in addition and then same thing with with vocals like is like main lead vocals then doubling your vocals so i had like m the work that i had to do was so much more than the other guys and so i was kind of like fuck i picked the wrong <laughs> to play but we're <laughs> we were practicing so much and playing so much at the time. It was like, it was easy in the sense of knowing the songs and knowing what we were supposed to do, but it was hard because of like what I mentioned before, when you know yeah. that you're recording, it's a different kind of pressure where oh, it's yeah. like, Oh shit. And I'd never experienced at that level. So yeah, I, I got some decent momentum and I was going well. And then I had this hiccup where I was just like, couldn't get through a certain part of a certain song. And I was like, <laughs> getting pissed at myself and it's the it's kind of like this this experience where for me like, the, like a good example is if I know I need to get to sleep because I need to wake up early for a flight or something and then I'm not getting to sleep so then oh, I get yeah. stressed yeah. out about not getting to sleep and then it just spirals yep. it was like that so I'm like I got to get this part recorded and then I'm worried I'm not getting it and so then it starts spinning out and yeah. it's like either take a break switch songs or just they keep hammering through it but like that i mean it even happened on the recording the new album so <laughs> but anyway yeah so the, to to go back to it like that it did like working with fletcher was this huge experience for us like life-changing experience i can say oh, yeah. it. and then we go back to eugene after getting the album recorded and we're sort of like what's next how do what do we do mm. and this is another thing that um i was doing this internship at fat records at, for when i was at oregon state university oh, wow. I, I had a i had a radio show a punk radio show and so i would get they would send me stuff and i would play it on my radio show and i would go to shows and i would do interviews oh no shit the, like so it was really cool 
and I got college credit for it. So it was kind of this nice like experience to learn more of just about kind of the yeah. inside of things. But at my contact at the time, I asked him, I said, where do you guys sell the most albums? And without skipping a beat, he said, San Diego by far. And so the, I proposed to the guys cause we were talking about moving to LA, and, mm-hmm. but I said, Hey, that, that record sells the most albums in San Diego. Maybe we should just go to San Diego. So it was like, I'd never been there. Mm. Never like, it, it was just sort of this blind faith kind of like, all right, people like this kind of music, you know, the fast style or whatever. Yep. Melodic. So we just decided to move to San Diego sight unseen. And then after making the decision, I went down sort of just to check it out. And then I was like, all right, this will, this should be cool. But I still had no job, no place to live. And I just, packed up my life and just moved down there and so like <laughs> definitely in retrospect think like maybe I should have had a job maybe I should have had a plan <laughs> but put the pieces in place first before uprooting your whole life and running down there yeah but you know what there's something to be said for that experience though you know like I always say like the older I get the more I realize that life is about experiences you know and when you're young and when you can do that when you can pack up and move that's the time to do it. You know what I mean? Like, like oh, I'm, yeah, I'm 40 now. I just turned 40 yesterday and I'm like Happy more. Birthday. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. And more than ever, I just wish that when I was younger that I wouldn't have tied myself down so much. And I've been with my wife forever since like high school. I love her. I wouldn't change a thing about our lives, but like, I wish I had that experience of doing something like that when I was young and taking off and going on the road and joining a band and touring and getting all those experiences that I can't do now. Like, I'm an adult now. I have a job. I have responsibilities. Yeah. I have a child on the way. Like, I can't just pick up tomorrow if the band, you know, the guys I normally play with say, hey, let's go on fucking tour of North America. Can't do that. You know what I mean? It's, it's impossible. Oh, yeah. So, totally. you know, I wish I had the, that type of experience like you have. Um, oh, shit. I just lost my train of thought. I was going to ask you something about... Um, oh, shit. Where were we? We were talking about... You were down in San Diego... Oh yeah. So just working with Fletcher and then that, and then the fat records asking them where they sold the most records and then deciding yeah. to move. Yeah. So how old of a guy would you have been at that time then when you guys recorded that album, did all that stuff? I was around 26, 27. I was a late bloomer and, and cigar was my first real band. Yeah. I jammed with other people sort of just whatever. Like mm-hmm. when I say jam, it's more just like, like just, blues progressions kind of just standard shit mm-hmm. that people to get together and go okay like not actually writing full-on songs i was writing some songs and song ideas myself mm-hmm. but i didn't know anybody that liked to play the stuff that i liked which is like the fast punk stuff right and then i, I was i had this kind of starting of a project this other guy was writing the songs and i was just going to play bass at the time this is long before cigar mm-hmm. but it was one of those things where it's like, I wanted to play a different style. I wanted to kind of have different, different songs, different types of songs, different tempos, et cetera. So I, I didn't continue with that. Mm. But then when, when I met John and found out he played the style that I really loved, yeah, I was totally just like, one, I was blown away with what he was able to do. And yeah. then I was kind of like, I've, I've never seen anybody been with anybody played with anybody that plays this well and so i just had this instant kind of like i have to play music with this guy i don't know how because they at the time there was two other guitar players and then there's jason on bass hmm. and, and i told john he's like you want to sing for a band 
So I should actually tell that story. So just to back up a little bit, yeah. I was just going to see a movie. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this because he, he worked at that theater or something, right? Yeah, John was working at the theater tearing tickets like the, <laughs> one of the ushers there. And, and I was wearing a good riddance shirt. And so John saw the shirt and said, hey, you want to sing for a band? I didn't even know he was talking to me. I just kept walking and he came <laughs> running after me. He's like, hey, hey, do you want to sing for a, a punk band? Like I saw your shirt. Do you want to sing for a band? And I go, oh, I don't, I don't sing. I play guitar and I play bass. Right. And he said, oh, we, we already have two guitar players and a bass player. And his, but he said, let's just exchange phone numbers. And this is, again, before cell phones and all that stuff. So I went to the movie and then came back home after the movie and John had gotten off work and already left a, a voicemail <laughs> and saying, Hey, this is John. We just met this afternoon. Come over and let's jam out. So I was kind of like, Whoa, that was fast. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but I, I called him back and I said, okay, let's, let's meet up. And so then I took my little shitty Dean Markley practice amp and my, I think I had a Fender Squire Strat, like single mm. coil. And I just took that little setup to John's house and when I got, I walked into his house, I, I didn't see a full drum kit anywhere. I was like, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> and so, but he had a snare set up and then he had a kick pedal that was hitting a, a broken guitar case lid. So, so it would thump on the lid yeah. for the kick and he had a hi-hat and then that was, that was it. And he didn't have like any toms or anything. It was just like this minimal setup. Yeah. But it, started playing and he was doing fills on the wall oh my God. and like just hi-hat snare wall and I was I was totally blown away like holy shit couldn't believe it and that's that's where I was like I gotta play music with this guy so I was kind of like you sure you don't need a guitar player no we already have two <laughs> guitar players you sure you don't need a bass, bass player no we already have a bass player so we just kept kind of like we became fast friends we liked the same kind of music we yeah. both skateboarded and all this we just hung out a lot and I decided that I was going to buy a guitar amp and the, the amp that I wanted, it was a Mesa boogie. And the only Mesa boogie dealer in back in the nineties was Apple music in Portland. And so I said, let's drive to Portland. I want to buy this amp. Right. So while, while we were driving, we were on I five and just listening to bands, no effects and lag wagon and whatever, and mm -hmm. just like song, harmonizing. And at one point he, he stopped the music. And he looks over at me while I was driving. He's like, you can, you should sing for my band. And I was like, uh, I don't, I don't know. Like I didn't think of myself as a singer and I was just singing along to other people's music. So then yeah, it was, a, it was a cool compliment, but it was also very intimidating. So I was like, sure. I don't really know. So he said, why don't you come to band practice or I'll show you some of the songs and you can kind of get a feel for it. So he showed me a couple of songs like Captain. They had the, the music for Captain already written oh, and everything. Wow. And so then I, I was kind of like, I don't know how to do this. So what I decided to do is I'm going to write one of my own songs. So I, I know the song. I know how it should go. I know the feel of it and everything. So I ended up writing Long Run and just like wrote everything. I wrote the lyrics, wrote the, the whole like idea. I think that we ended up tweaking stuff once we got together. But right. I showed that to John and said, hey, I wrote this idea so I can basically try out for the band with an idea that I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I showed it to him and he was like, yeah, this is cool. This is this is totally like the style that we like and it fits. Right. So then we brought 
and I, I was just going to be the singer. So I just had, I, I wrote it, but with the intent of only singing it. Right. Brought over one of the guitar players who John known, had known him from his previous band, Circus Tents in Northern California. So the guy's name was Jeff Jones, super cool dude. He, he comes over. And so then we both showed Jeff the song. So then I kind of showed to him on guitar. John mm. showed how the drums will go, whatever. So we kind of play it through. And so Jeff also was like, yeah, this is cool. So then us three bring it to the other two guys, another guitar player, and then Jason on bass. Right. The full band at band practice learns the song and they're like, this is cool. I guess you're our singer. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, it went well. And so it's also cool because like Long Run being the first song for me to write was very, it was a very personal song. because the, the, the lyrics are about me and my right. experience elementary school so it was, it was intimidating to kind of have that vulnerability to write a song like a, a song that was intended to be played in front of people for the first time so I was like super nervous and super scared but it went well and so yeah. it was kind of like cool so then we just kept working on on stuff and then over time one of the guitar players um Brennan was his name he was in another band a, like a ska style band called the ready men and eugene and, and he said i i think i'm just going to focus on the one band so he left and so then we were i think i ended up playing picking up the guitar so then hmm. it was four of us so then i played guitar and sang and then jeff was still on guitar and we were and then jason was on bass we started playing shows as a four piece and it's kind of building up some men, momentum right there were small shows and whatever, but there was, you know, that's kind of how, yeah, how it goes. Yeah, sure. After a while, maybe a year or two or something like that. Um, we, Jason, John and I were practicing three days a week, four days a week, sometimes five days a week, just like that's what, what we were doing. Right. And Jeff's momentum was a little less committed. Um, for what, whatever reason, like either double booked with something yeah. else or whatever. And so we were, we started playing more as a three piece kind of like, well, it's only us three. So we're yeah. still going to have band practice. Sure. And we just, it was still really working and we were just stumbling on songs. Like we would just kind of warm up and that one band practice, I just randomly started playing the chord progressions to what became back to home, but I was just making it up on the spot. Right. Right. And they they followed along and were like, oh, this could totally be a song. So then we just start working on a new song spontaneously. Sure. We were writing a new song. And so that was just like we were hammering through stuff like that. And that's like being in the same room. That's just that momentum builds up really fast. So yeah. we were just clicking the three of us. And then Jeff would join us and we'd have to teach him the songs. But yeah. by then it was like we might have three new songs. And right. Bouncing forth. <laughs> And it was a lot for him to learn and catch up with. And yeah. so the gap between what us three were doing and Jeff's kind of learning and momentum started to become more evident. Yeah. And it was there no ill will at all, but it was like Jeff started to realize like I, I can't keep up with what yeah. you guys are. So Jeff actually stepped out of the band. And it was it was totally a tough decision. And it was one of those things where another one where it's like super great guy and like like I, I still wish he was in the band because he's yeah. so fun, super fun guy. And like just to be on stage with him was really fun. Yeah. So, but it was also a kind of this realization of 
and his realization was more like i i feel like i'm going to slow you guys down for, yeah. for how much work you're putting in and how fast things are moving forward mm-hmm. so that's that's the long-winded story of how we ended up as a three-piece mm-hmm. it started off as a five-piece where i was only the singer yeah gradually people basically stepped out as john and jason and i just kept that momentum going there was a window of time in there where jason was going to school at or, uh, um, university of oregon in eugene hmm. he went back home for about six months down to davis california so i ended up playing bass just to keep things moving hmm. but not knowing like if this was going to be permanent or whatever so i did that just for a little window of time just right. to keep moving forward and then jason came back and then came back to playing bass so. mm-hmm. but that's like the full history of how we kind of ended up as the three yeah. piece and it's funny how like that that chemistry just finds its way you know what i mean like like you guys are a three piece you're clearly a very tight three piece you have very technical music john's drumming like you were saying before it's a minimal kit but he gets this incredible sound and it's super techie and super fast but you guys have this like, like for example, that live show that you guys played in Italy right before, like, the world fucking shut down from the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, watching that overhead drum cam of him and how minimal his kit is and just how much shit he can actually do on that. But you guys are so tight and, and everything's just there and you can just feel that chemistry. Even in those live performances, like the Bridge City Sessions, of course, which is amazing, and that that live in Italy, there's just this, this you can tell there's a there's a... Uh, like a bond, you know what I mean? Like a ke- like a chemistry, like a bond there where you guys are just the perfect fit for each other. And I find like my favorite bands are like that. And when one piece, I've had some of my favorite bands have a piece leave and then be replaced by somebody else. Um, for example, and not not to say anything about um, about Alkaline Trio, but but uh, when Tom left Blink One Eighty Two and then they replaced him with uh, Matt Skiba. It to me that's not Blink, you know what I mean? Like, and they were one of my favorite bands, but it's not the same chemistry. You know what I mean? It's not the same band anymore. It, sure, they can play the tunes and get through it and play a show and have a great show, but it's not the same thing. You know what I mean? So it's oh, not exactly. not surprising to hear that you guys pared it down from five to the three that became the core of of the band, essentially, right? Yeah, and for us, when we we were facing when Jason decided that he, he it was similar where he said, I, I, it's not where I'm able to keep up with you guys due to family commitments and career commitments and everything. We, John and I basically decided, well, instead of stopping and trying to figure it out, let's keep running songs. Let's keep moving forward and eventually see what happens. Yeah. And that, that way it was more like, we still had the drive to keep pushing forward, even without knowing how things would end up or who would end up being in the band. Right. Or, or if it was like, you know, we keep working on stuff and then eight months later, maybe Jason comes back. We totally didn't know. We were yeah. just like, so the keeping things moving forward was the best thing for us to do is simply just like to have that, the momentum, because like there really is something to be said for the momentum and the process. Oh, yeah pushing forward and then john had known jonathan who now is is the bass player he played with him on in another project and has known him for many years and so he suggested jonathan but jonathan has never played punk before or anything oh really he's listened to punk he's familiar with bands and the genres and stuff like that but it was my thought was like is he going to be able to do it and 
just because of the the style and the pace and whatever but but it was also like okay let's see and but John's whole perspective is exactly what you said where it's the chemistry like even if you have someone that's crazy technically proficient locked in tight and just like blows you away but they're not fun to hang out with and they're just kind of like a punishment to experience like <laughs> yeah. it's not that's not what you want like yeah and so thankfully uh we call him hishki it's this last name so jonathan hishki is like a true pleasure to be around whether mm. you're playing music with him or not like even if you you don't know who he is and you just sit next to him at a bar and you have a drink next to him or with him mm. like he's still a joy to to be around yeah and so that that to me i'm getting goosebumps <laughs> <laughs> so that was where it was like okay this is really cool and then learning the songs learning to like his style because he also plays with his fingers so learning mm -hmm. to play that stuff that style with his fingers and then also respect the work that jason did and the, the bass lines jason wrote because the first thing was learning the the speed is relative songs sure. to be able to have that foundation then mm -hmm. it was also to be able to because at the time it was we're going to play some shows mm. so we have to know these songs to play the shows then it was also we're writing new music so being able to play the the tempos and the their the grooves the swing all of that mm -hmm. lock it in so there was there's some learning there but it was like really painless learning it was mm. more about getting some clarity on some specific things and some of the specific kind of feel of the song yeah but we were genuinely we still continue to look back john and i will say like how lucky were we that we had someone this amazing yeah that we could like again just even without the music like it's so fun to hang out with this guy and yeah. then it, then to play music with him also and so like i'm i'm really appreciative of that experience oh, yeah. to allow what we created so long ago to continue yeah that, i feel very lucky to have that well yeah like you know i was talking about john you know like uh sortland's drumming obviously your drummer john uh how how good uh how good he is on the kit but again like talk going back to the bridge city sessions watching jonathan's fingers like i to say that he's never played punk quote-unquote played punk is incredible to me because his fingers move so fast. You know what I mean? Like he, everything's played with fingers. I don't see him ever use a pick and he just rockets through all these bass lines. And on, I'm talking fingers on both his hands, not just his picking fingers. Like he can move his left hand like crazy, like up and down that neck. And those bass lines are insane. So yeah. to f have a guy like that to just basically fill the gap immediately without having to audition a bunch of people is fucking incredible. It's, a st it's just a big stroke of luck kind of, right? Yeah, it was definitely, definitely incredible. And the the proficiency in terms of the speed and capability, that's one thing. But the musical choices and musical interpretations, because yeah. he wrote his own bass line. Sure. There's certain points where it's guidance as far as what is the guitar doing here, and then he's able to interpret. But hearing what he was doing in the studio, because we didn't play together, like he was writing his stuff, and then came together in the studio so oh, wow. hearing what what he was doing in the studio and john and i were like holy shit like the it's very 
smart writing. It's very interesting. It's very like unexpected in a beautiful way. Like, yeah. So that was another element where just the musicality of his musical mind and not just mind, but musical soul, mm-hmm. like that element coming to Cigar, it was like another, another evolution of another phase. Mm-hmm. And, and by all means, like no discredit to Jason, because that's, no. I, I love the fact that Hishke prioritized respecting what Jason brought to right. the band. And then from there, he started to write his own stuff on the new songs. So I feel like there is a continued respect for what Jason did to help define our sound. Yeah. So to me, like, and so like when we played that show uh, back in San Diego where Jason played the the last three songs Mm -hmm. with the band, like we're all four hanging out as friends. So it's like, that's another thing of it. Just like, I love that camaraderie and respect and friendship and, I do feel like that translates like on stage or even in the studio. Oh yeah. 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 And, and again, like not so much in the bridge city sessions, but more in like the, the, the video from the live in Italy stuff, you can really tell how, how f- much fun you guys are having together, which of course was an incredible show to be played right on the beach too, literally on sand pretty much with some like pallets under you, under your feet pretty much. Right. But yeah. Uh, but to watch you guys interact, like when, when John's drum kit was falling apart for some reason, <laughs> I had, I had broke. Yeah. But like to watch you guys go through that and just joke around in between songs and you can really tell how much fun you're having and pretty tough to tour the way you guys do it as a, as a three piece without having that kind of camaraderie. Otherwise I think you'd kill each other. <laughs> on the road. Yeah. Well, I mean, we still, being on the road for an extended like we're not i I might i'll speak for myself like i don't play music as my primary job right i play it because i love it and i write the songs because i love it and whether i was playing in a band or not i i would still do it even if it was just for myself by myself i would still do it right but the specifically for italy we when we were working out the routing for the tour part of my kind of approach to this is basically taking advantage of this opportunity to check things off my bucket list so i had i don't even know how this started when but ever since i was younger i've i've always wanted to go to italy i've always wanted to go to greece haven't been to greece yet i always wanted to go to germany like and i've been to germany several times now so i've always i've had these places that i've wanted to go japan was another one like where i just wanted to go and so i i told steve our, our booking agent I said, Steve, I, I want to go to Italy. Is that possible? And with the current, the, at the time, the current routing that we had, we had two shows in Austria, but they they weren't back-to-back days. It was one show and then a, a gap or a day off mm. and then another show in Austria. And Steve said, theoretically, I can get you down to Italy between those shows, but it's like, at least eight hours out of your way <laughs> and so i proposed it to the guys like hey i want to go to italy but it's totally out of the way they were kind of like sure let's do it so i was excited because i was like all right i get to check italy off my bucket list yeah we go eight hours out of our way from austria and it's just like the scenery's changing the the like, in, that's another thing about europe that's fun it's just like even things like gas stations are different in countries and yeah like, yeah just the little like snacks they sell and like that 
to me is like part of the fun of touring. Oh yeah. Seeing, seeing like, like some road signs and like all those subtle things. It's yep. just so fun to experience all that. So when we're getting into Italy, it starts to get fun. Cause you're like, Oh shit, Italian writing. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop off at a gas station. You just hear people talking with the accent. And it's like so fun to experience that. So we're excited to be in Italy. And then we end up meeting Diego from the action, action men. And like, just such like, that's another thing about when you're on tour and you just meet these people that are so genuinely generous yeah. and kind and thoughtful and like want to take care of you and the hospitality. So we're overwhelmed with how like the, the, the reception of us coming yeah. play in Ravenna, like it was so, we were just so stoked because it was like, they were stoked that we were there and we, they, we were stoked to be in Italy. And so yeah. like, it was just super fun. We we're it was towards the end of the tour, so we're actually just really tired and exhausted. But the experience itself was so rejuvenating. Yeah. And, and then we go out onto the beach in the Adriatic Sea, and we're like, it's so beautiful. Like yeah. it's like a postcard. It's totally <laughs> like a postcard. And then we see that we're playing on this little stage, like in there's sand everywhere on the yeah. beach, and we're like, it was just so like, holy shit, look at this. How fun is this? Yeah. And then, then, of course, the food they're feeding us before. And I was like, oh, the food's amazing. And so, and then the show, we play the show, even despite the the hi-hat breaking, it still yeah. goes well. And the crowd is super into it. And we there are some guys that we saw at Punk Rock Holiday. We saw them like a couple times. So it was fun to see familiar faces. Oh, yeah. Just have that experience. And then we spend the night there, like, end up having this incredible meal at a small restaurant, super authentic Italian food. The next morning, we just walked down to the corner at this Italian, well, everything's Italian, of course, but of course, we, yeah. it's, it's such a, it was totally the, the, what I wanted and what I thought I would experience in Italy. Like, yeah. It was far exceeded. So like the bucket list was like a huge check. Like, yeah. And it was so fun. Like even the subtleties of you just go and grab whatever you want. Like, if you want a uh, whatever croissant or something or a yeah. little biscuit or one, you just go get it and then you just pay at the end. You right. just like the honor system, and yep. we're like, you can't do that in the United States. Like, <laughs> no. just ransack this place. <laughs> so, so, but just like the subtle little things like that, where the where you just see how the culture is, it's just such a that is such a big part of touring for me and my what I really love about yeah. it. Yeah. So then, after we we we're like shit we don't even want to leave but we have another show to, to go play but then after you know we end the tour take all the gear back fly home and like a couple weeks later we're just like italy was like the probably the best show like not because of like the other shows we had so many good shows sure. we love love touring in europe but it was like the full bucket list experience for me was just like this is like incredible yeah and so like that the and i i feel like that was part of the vibe from that footage is because we were so stoked to be there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you could see that. You could tell you guys were having a wicked time, obviously, but also like you, you mentioned the, the fans there. Um, I, I was amazed at how into it they were. Like, like how do you know when you go to a country like Italy, how do you know that you're going to have fans show up? Like, cause there was a good turnout to that show. You know, it's an outside show, but you could tell there's a lot of people there. They knew the songs. They were singing them back to you. The guys in the front were singing all the words. You crowd surfed while you played that solo, which was fucking awesome to see. <laughs> and 
they're so respectful. They put you down, you know, gently. <laughs> you know, they, they took care of you. But how do you know that those fans are going to show up when you go to a country like that? You don't. You don't. You so we're, we're very fortunate to have the help of Steve from Merit Based Booking. And Steve's experience, because Steve plays in Belvedere, so he's mm. got a ton of experience, tons of relationships. So one of Steve's, for all of his bands, not just for us, he does this for all of his bands, He's really looking out for the bands and really trying to assess, is this good for the band uh -huh. as far as the, the time they're spending, the money they're spending to get yeah. there. So he's, and we very much trust Steve and he does indeed take care of his bands. And so having that trust in somebody else like that is basically you, you build a team around you, like whoever is the, the label, booking agent, management, whatever hmm. you build your and so the the best situation when you have that team is you genuinely trust the, your team so for us we totally just trusted trusted steve and steve has a strong relationship with so many people and so he knew the action men guys and was like i know these guys will take care of you so there we go for us it was more like steve said it's going to be cool so let's you know let's yeah. do it yeah so that's, that was that's what i always wonder it's like because i went to go see a band uh, a few years back, and, and I don't remember what the band's name is. They were just kind of a new band to me. A friend of mine had suggested we go to the show. They were playing in, in Hamilton, Ontario, which is not far from where we are, like about 45 minutes, eh, half-hour drive, 45 minutes. And uh, this band came from the States, and, and we're watching their videos on YouTube, and the videos have like 1.1 million hits and you know all this kind of stuff. We show up to see this band play, and the place is packed. It's not a big club, maybe holds, I don't know, three, 300 people, 350 people. And the headlining band goes on stage and the place clears out. Oh. And we're standing there watching them and there's, you know, maybe 30 people left in the whole venue. And I'm wow. going, so then they come off stage and I go, uh, you know, I'm talking to the, the, the front man, guitar player, singer guy, and, and I'm saying to him, you know, what, what happened here? Like you came all the way here. You've got, clearly you've got a big following in the States. Your, your videos have millions of views. What happened? Like, how did the, why did the crowd leave? Like, did, are the, <laughs> I would thought they were here to see you and then you guys go on stage and they clear out. And he goes, man, we just don't have the following in Canada. He's like, we're trying, we're, we're playing some shows here. We're playing here tonight. We're playing Toronto tomorrow night. He's like, but until you get touring, get your music out there, there's just not the following. So like yeah. my fear would always be like, you go and you, like you said, spend the money to get there and play the show and pff, everybody leaves. And of course you're still going to get your guarantee and, and all that kind of stuff, which is great. But, I mean, fuck, you want the place to still stay packed while you play if you're the headlining band, right? I felt terrible for them. We all crowded the stage and were right up close, but it was such a weird experience, you know? Yeah, and some it's really hard to pinpoint specifically what may have happened, but the, it, like there potentially could have been the promoter just simply didn't promote. But, like you said, the place was packed, was packed. with the other band. Yeah. So, promoter, sounds like a promoter, definitely promoted. So Yeah. But, but it really is... And there's good things and bad things about how social media works. Like you can really build up a strong following by putting videos and content and, and posts and all that good stuff. Yeah. So it can be very helpful, but to make sure people still see the social stuff, like similar where it's like you might post a shitload of stuff and people just may never ever see what you're posting. So, yeah. Yeah. and that's something that as far as the first phase of cigar, when we, first started we're just like we want to play music we don't want to deal with the business the marketing that is like yeah just didn't like it. it's not an enjoyable part of it 
we now have learned from our mistakes in the sense of it's just a part of being in a band that's trying to build an audience to get out there to to get better shows to to travel whatever the case is it's a just a necessary part of it yeah and so it's it's one of those things where if from and just speaking for myself because i do i do a lot of the posting and stuff like that and just kind of figuring the logistical side of set of things hmm. I've, I've just had to learn to make it a part of the band and not because I like it. I still don't like it. I still would rather just only, <laughs> only write the songs and play the shows and yeah. record. Blah, blah, blah. But I'm, I realized like, I'm not gonna, just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's kind of like, like I went to the gym today. Mm. I don't love going to the gym. I mean, <laughs> in some ways I do, but it would be nice to not have to go to the gym and <laughs> yeah. still get the benefits of it. Of so course. it's similar, similar in the sense of like, got to put the work in. And so that's like we didn't have music videos back in the day and now we got a couple music videos and there's a couple that are waiting as far as when the album comes out then yeah. videos will be released and whatever but we are recognizing the value of and not just value but the necessity of posting on social media creating videos doing all, and I'll end up doing some like guitar playthrough videos and so yeah. when the album comes out and and so like and I've never done that stuff but it's more like well just do it and I don't have any sort of camera or whatever. I'm probably just going to use this. Well, hey, <laughs> just, that's as good a camera as any nowadays. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'll, I'll just end up just experimenting, I guess. Yeah. And just like recording and seeing like, how does the playthrough sound? And so I, it's, it's fun in the sense of like new, cool. I get to do something new, but it's also like more work. Yeah. And it's not writing a song, but it, I'm learning how to make it like recognizing the, the value. And, oh yeah. And then, one one thing I do appreciate very much is when people make a comment or share something we've posted or even just liking it. Like I recognize the value. I, I do oh, yeah. feel very fortunate to have people paying attention to what we're doing. I think that there's this, <laughs> we were hanging out. So John plays in a band called the shins, mm. very popular in the indie scene. Mm -hmm. And so John, John and I were hanging out with James from the shins one night and we were, we're just talking and James like gets really passionate and he stands up and he's like, you guys have to keep going. You have to keep doing this. You have to write. Cause we were starting to write new songs for yeah. the new album. And he said, you have to put out another album because you guys have something that bands would kill for. They would pay millions of dollars for that. And bands do pay millions of dollars to get name recognition, yep. to get out there and to have people listen to your music, to have people go to your shows. He said, you already have that. There's bands that try to do that for decades <laughs> and still fail. And he said, you must keep going. And I, for me, I know it was very motivating. Like he's right. Yeah. You, you can't, uh, to just kind of leave it all behind and like ignore it and, and, because I, for me, it's like I was still writing music, even when we took a break yeah. back in what, 2006. Like I was still writing cigar songs, basically. And sure. so, so for me, it was like this whole recognition of not just the desire to keep writing, but he's right. Like there are people that are excited to hear more music. There's people that want to go to our shows again. And so, yeah. it was just a, a really cool motivational moment from someone who's got obviously tons of experience yeah. and 
very much respect his opinion. It was like, he's totally right. We, right. we have to do this just because we do have something that people appreciate. So I'm yeah. all that to say that I very much value, like, even if we just get one like, I appreciate that person taking the time to, to tap and like what was posted. It feels so good to, to post something that you've created. Like I, you know, I was like a, like a, hobby sort of photographer for a long time. I still kind of am, but I don't really shoot much anymore. But for a long, a long time, I would shoot things and then edit the photos and put them up on Instagram. And, you know, people all over the world started following me and liking my posts. And not that I had a huge following, but like just people in, you know, in South America and like just cool that those people started following me and liking all my photos. And I, so I know that feeling, right? Um, yeah. Now, I do want to talk about the new music. We talked about the old, the old stuff quite a bit. Um, and the recording of that and how that came about. I want to talk about the new stuff. Um, when, roughly, what year did you guys start recording new stuff? Like 2019-ish? So we, despite not playing music actively together as Cigar, John and I have still stayed in touch and hung out yeah. and whatever. So every once in a while, I would show him a new song or you know, talk about what I was working on new, new songs, this and that, whatnot. So it was kind of like, yeah, we, this, it was sort of this, you know, when you tie a can behind a car and it's just dragging behind <laughs> you, clang. it was sort of that where it's like this cigar thing was sort of just dragging behind yeah. us. And then there was kind of a, a pivot as far as like, yeah, let's, let's start writing again. Let's start working. And then, then typically just historically, John and I were the, the core writing and then the bass player would join mm. once the songs kind of had at least an overall structure. So John and I started doing that. And we think I have a couple posts from 2015 even where we were just starting to write new songs. And we were even working on songs that didn't make it on the new album, but we'll end up working on those later. But mm -hmm. we'd gotten together a couple times. Like I went down to L.A. when John was living in L.A. and we would just practice and this and that and, and, and write stuff. But then we sort of had this like, okay, let's actually write an album. Let's finish an album. And so I was flying down to, to Palm Springs area to work with John at mm -hmm. his house. And I was doing that about once a month for, I think it was the summer of 2017, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And just like got a lot of writing time in, a lot of like headbutting on ideas and the creative process and this and that mm. and we, we changed a little bit of how we were doing stuff because it was in like with speed is relative i would typically just bring captains existed before and i think i don't know if there's other song but i most of it was me just going here's the song idea here's right. the song idea. and then we would just build out the songs this was different because john had like specifically john wrote the chorus for we used to and the song was built around the chorus. And so that was a different experience. And it was a fun challenge to go, okay, let's take your idea and then add my take on it and refine it together. And same things, same thing with the lyrics where for Speed is Relative, I wrote all my lyrics. And then John wrote when he was singing on Speed is Relative, he wrote his own lyrics. So for the new album, it was this, the process was intentional, like let's try something different. And mm. so- we were taking some of the songs from John's repertoire and working mm -hmm. on some, and then same thing with the lyrics, like, hey, let's write some lyrics together. And it was cool, but it was also like, I, I have a, John will call it an OCD process where it's like, <laughs> if, 
there's a specific sound or specific phrasing and it's for me it's like a feeling or it's just like that doesn't feel right whether it's the cadence or if a, uh, the end of a line ends in a like ah or e or whatever it's a tonal like vowel sound or even a consonant sound there's a certain like feeling that i can and it's not like one feeling it might you have different options yeah. but there's also the sense of like when i hear something and it's not right it's like nope that doesn't feel right yeah <laughs> so, yeah so we had a few of those moments where John would throw out an idea and I would have like, no, no, that's not right. Or mm. like this part works, but it needs to end this way. And so like learning how to work with each other that way was a new experience. Mm -hmm. It was a very cool experience. And it's also helped us because the last time, last couple of times we got together, we were playing a bunch of new ideas mm. and all of the headbutting and experimenting mm. as far as the process has made things so much better. So now when we start to write, we lock back into this process of what was working. So like, despite some of the, the turbulence that we experienced, it, it was, it really helped us to, to in the current songwriting process. Yeah. Kind of lost track of what you asked. Well, <laughs> no, no, the, uh, what did I ask? I was oh, asking yeah, about the new music. Well, like when about, did you like re go record it? Get in the studio yeah, and record so, them? So we started, we recorded, we had a bunch of songs, but we're sort of like, we're going to self-release it. Didn't really know what we were going to do. So we said, why don't we just put out an EP, self-released EP. Let's go record four songs just to get something down. Yeah. We connected with Darian again, who did Speed His Relative. Oh, wow. And basically said, let's, let's just record these four songs. So we went, and it was early 2019, I believe. That sounds right. Because I think we recorded early 2019 with the intent of releasing the EP before we went on tour in uh, Europe. So we recorded the four songs and then we also filmed the classic you video just to yeah. same thing where it was like, we wanted a new song, at least one new song. So people would have something new to sing along to when we went and played the shows and yeah. went on tour. But the, and then we also decided what if we just add more songs to the EP then we can release a full album because then it was kind of like the EP thing, like the, the reception. It feels like punk rock still really loves albums yeah. versus just um, seven inches or a single. Like those are fun and they're appreciated, sure. but albums just seem to get more attention and they, they're more memorable. And so for whatever reason, I think most other genres have, are based around singles now. Yeah. But for some reason, it feels like punk is still punk still celebrates the album. So that's where we're like, maybe we should just put an album because it felt like an EP might be overlooked, might be forgettable, or yeah. might be like, here's here's a preview to the album or whatever. So we're thinking maybe we just do an album. Yeah. So then we decide to go back to the studio, still trying to think maybe we record more songs, basically six more songs, make it a 10 song album. Can we record it and self-release it before we go on tour in Europe, which is like pretty ridiculous time frame <laughs> and so it ends up not happening just because Hishki is super busy with just other commitments and other right. life you know we're adults so like it, it gets hard to to drop everything and commit all of our time to make something like this happen yeah. so we decide let, let's not rush it like we still record yeah but we we don't so we do have the 10 songs recorded oh nice Classic U gets released in a, in the video and in a single. Yeah. So then, 
we have that going okay cool but then we're still like okay then when do we release the album right and then then we're talking like do we self-release it do we try and find a label it seemed like labels weren't really interested and it's and who knows why it's just like part of the the, the game or part yeah. of the process then we have like some really smaller label and no disrespect to smaller labels no. but we're sort of like the thought process for us was at the level some of these smaller labels and you got to start small to get bigger so sure. it's like no disrespect to them at, by any means it was more about for us we were kind of like well some people know about us some people are waiting for new music but what can this label any any label what what can that label do for us that we can't do for ourselves right and part of it is because the other guys really do make a living off of creative endeavors the thought is it's hard to to go they can't do anything different for us yet they're going to take whatever percentage and it all depends on whatever's negotiated but so part of our thought process was well if we self-release it then we can get more of the money what and i'm not talking about a lot of money but no. it's more like hey we got enough money to to buy more merch or yeah. to pay for gas or to buy a plane ticket right go. so it's like almost just like utility money it's not this like fuck yeah. you money sitting around a pool and hang out it's like <laughs> it's useful to be able to make an extra 300 or whatever to buy the stuff to then be able to sell at a show or something like that yeah so that was the thought process was like if we keep it in house, we can then still self fund the band, yep. like it's gonna fuel itself. But then we had this sort of honest talk, not sort of, it was a very honest talk about do we want to ship out vinyl? Do is who of us wants to go to the post office and bring a stack of yeah. mail and whatever? How many of us want to ship out t shirts or whatever merch or this and that? It's like we both came to the realization that we don't we the last thing we'd want to do is disappoint the people that order something and yeah. have the expectation and we're just kind of like wow i don't want to do this like that's not a cool experience so we didn't want to let people down and frustrate ourselves so we decided maybe we do find a record label so then we start working more on trying to find a record label whatever and mm. meet the people punk rock guys and kind of just have a good conversation and specifically for that yeah was I found out that Anthony from people of punk rock was he booked us back in, in Quebec in either 2001 or 2003, or maybe even both. Mm. But it dawned on me as like, Oh, this guy is like, despite people of punk rock being somewhat of a younger record label, like this guy has been around for yeah. a long time, 20 years at least. And, and he had already been supporting us by booking us and bringing us and taking care of us. So that to me, it was like just a very personal appreciation of like, okay, this guy is, he's believed in us for a long time. Right. So that changed my perspective. And that's why we started working with those guys. And then like still trying to figure out some logistics and things are sort of changing or whatever. And I can't say too much about that, but, but what's, what I do want to say is like, definitely appreciate people like that that again certainly no disrespect to smaller labels but no. recognizing the passion of these smaller labels and sure. the genuine motivation to help bands that's where i i, I have a lot of respect for those labels where yeah. it's like 
they do it because they love it. They want to help the bands. They they want to, despite like maybe they don't. They've never played in a band, but they love music or something. It's yeah. their way to contribute to the scene or contribute specifically to a band or whatever. So like that's I have a lot of respect for that yeah. element of it, and so that's where it, it was this kind of recognition of like okay they can help us they can uh, ship out vinyl or whatever yep. and so like so then the process has just been ongoing and long and whatever and figuring out mastering like we ended up having the album mixed three different times really because just trying to find the right sound the right feel the right tones all this other stuff so that was part of what what has taken so long and then the mastering process and then conversations behind the scenes and logistics and just sort of like a lot of this is us also waiting as a band yeah. as far as um, timing and of course there's delays in the vinyl production and all this other stuff so it's like I know there's there's people that are waiting but like we're waiting too True. <laughs> we're, we're not like holding back and like keep, it's more like we're waiting for other processes to take place yeah. and other other conversations that we have nothing to do with right there's planning that has has to happen as far as like the record label process yeah that, of course that, those wheels need to turn and then eventually we'll figure out like okay here's the proposed release date etc and then the announcements will be made and all that stuff so we're, yeah. we're very excited for that but we are just like the fans we're also waiting now right for other people to do their thing so what's the timeline of the release of the new album can you can you say or we don't even know. You don't like know. That's, yeah. I mean, I suspect sometime this year, but I mean, it's also January of a brand new year. Yeah. So that's a that's a big buffer. But <laughs> yeah. But I, I suspect it'll come out sometime this year. Yeah. And then speaking of uh, of the new stuff and, and like Classic U, you talked about releasing a video for Classic U. That, first of all, the new stuff is great, by the way. I, I like the, I love the old stuff. Like Mr. Hurtado is one of my favorites. You know what I mean? But, uh, and Laundry Basket as well. <laughs> I asked you earlier how old you were when you recorded those songs because they, a lot of them have a, a very mature feel to them at the time. And I, I, to be honest, I thought you were a lot younger when you recorded that. Uh, but they, they are mature songs. But this new stuff has, like Classic Q, for example, is, is if I'm interpreting the song correctly, it's, it, it is a serious song, but the video is very, is very uh has a very light feel it's very comedic right and yeah, uh, that's i think that's kind of a consistent vibe yeah whole just the band the personalities and whatnot i i tend to lean more towards serious topics and yeah. despite laundry basket being a silly song like i was genuinely like who the fuck would steal my laundry basket <laughs> so i just and it, it is a funny song, yeah. but there, it started off with serious, like, I was, despite it being just a laundry basket, I was just like, fuck you. <laughs> but the the songs do have more of a serious overtone in general. Not yeah. It's not a strict hard rule by any means, but, and that's just my personal take. Yeah. Like, I, I appreciate silly songs and comedy songs, but for me personally, when I hear a comedy song, I don't have to hear it again. I've I heard it. Yeah. And so I like the idea of writing songs that people want to hear more and more, especially if they relate to the lyrics or the, the topic or the circumstances. Right. But that's just my own personal thing. I'm not trying to, to hate on people that love comedy songs and write comedy songs. Yeah. I totally get that. But my my personal 
in, intuitive process is more on the serious side, but Classic U is a good example where John and I collaborated on the lyrics and the topic within the lyrics. So mm. he was very much a strong partner as, as far as the premise of Classic U is basically, it can be summarized where like you have a friend or a spouse or a girlfriend, whatever it is, like somebody else in your life that you have this connection and friendship or relationship, but they still, they do something that either they deceive you or they they're clumsy in their decisions and it's like oh, don't do that or whatever you know maybe disrespect you or something yeah. and then you give them another chance and then they do it again they're just like it's the same thing and so it's the, the premise is like a classic you like yep figures that you would do that yeah. again that's that's the main premise okay so i'm glad that i interpreted that correctly because that is kind of <laughs> When I read the lyrics, I'm like, okay, I, I think I understand this song. But the video, like, how did you guys go so far the other way with the with the video? Was it on just because you wanted to take some of that some of that seriousness off, or like, what what was the idea behind? Because I know John directed the video, correct? Yeah, and it was yeah. filmed on his iPhone, and and the, John's shit. done a lot of video work, and so the the idea started off as just, I I said something off the cuff, John and I after we recorded, we we came down from where from Cedar Pines where uh, Darian lives. And we just ended up somewhere in like San Bernardino or whatever. And we just went to a, a Sam Ash music or something. And we saw it, it was a, a flying V and I was like, it just reminded me of these old rush videos, like just back <laughs> in the day, like old instruments, seventies yeah. vibe and everything. And I, I made a joke just in passing and, and that totally flipped a light bulb in John's head. And John just started running with it. Like, Oh, we could actually do that. And so then it was like, okay, let's see what we can do. And so John had this, this idea and this vision and the storyline and all that stuff. So John put all that stuff together and like the outfits, like borrowing clothing. And then like, I ordered a couple things online just mm. to have like bell bottom pants and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so John put everything together. I drove down from Portland down to the Grass Valley, California the night before because John got access to this movie theater through through friends, but we st had to start filming between six and seven a.m. and be done by noon because wow. they were going to start showing movies. Yeah, and so we just got this window of time. So John got friends and family together, and just all these resources really dug in deep to just have this little community of people just helping. Yeah. It was so fun because everybody's excited to like contribute to this and put it all together. And so we just start filming and like I'm not well versed in the whole process of filming a video. So it's more like, tell me what I should do. Yeah. And so it's like different sections where because you see different segments where it's the focus is might be me and mm -hmm. then it switches to John. So we're doing these these kind of cycles of like, okay, we're gonna film a bunch of parts for you in, in this situation. But and then just adding things like in the coming off the cuff of like, we should have it where we have this keyboard player that gets kicked out of the band. <laughs> like just such an obscure idea, but we just throw it together and just yeah. put it, put it in place and then, you know, borrow a keyboard and then get somebody yeah. to play the role and whatever. And, and in the video, Gary's mom is actually John's mom. Oh. Like in, in real life. <laughs> and so like, and she's having fun playing this part and whatever. Sure. And so like, but that, 
as far as like the the attitude like even if when we play live like we'll make stupid jokes I and mean, we're not trying to steal from funny bands like no effects whatever it's it's kind of like just the personality thing like that's sort of just who we are yeah but but we're not known for being like silly on stage or whatever no. as far as like, that's not what we're known for but no. there's there is kind of this undertone of like sort of just fun and like, yeah stupid stupid shit or whatever filming yeah. a fun video. and part of it is like the fun of making a video is like oh it'll be fun versus like a serious yeah. video i mean I'm not to say that that won't be fun and perhaps we'll end up making a serious video mm. eventually, but it's more like it's an intuitive part of the fun that we like to have while yeah. making, like even in the studio, we'll just like have fun and like make each other laugh and just yeah. like kind of try to break. Cause sometimes those moments get, you start to take everything too seriously. Yes. Not yeah. that like you want things to be quality and come out good and everything. But then if you get stuck too much on the seriousness of it then the tension builds up between people then eventually it becomes like yeah so that actually yeah. happened the song killing time which it's out there and it was recorded during the speed of the relative sessions but i didn't write the lyrics to that song somebody else wrote the lyrics it was kind of an experiment like let's take somebody else's lyrics mm. it was basically like a poem that from someone that john knew and we use those as the lyrics of the song. And I just didn't really connect with the lyrics, not to criticize the lyrics, but no. just from my process and interpretation and all that, mm. I didn't really connect as much. And then while we were recording, you could start to just feel it. And so there was some tension that started building up. And eventually as we finished and listened back to the song, we're like, it doesn't have the same feeling mm. as these other songs. And so despite like, it's a fun song to play and like there's people out there that like it and still request it we we've retired that song basically and it's because of that tension that it, it caused and it's yeah. like let's just leave that one behind so we don't like we naturally tend to lean towards like fun in the process mm -hmm. not even like we never made a decision like we will make fun videos like we it was more just like that's just kind of an intuitive and yeah. plus it's like it's fun for us to make those kind of little yeah. jokes or like there's in the it didn't even turn out right but in the the credits of speed is relative we in all of the the text we highlighted specific letters in it to and this is so petty but this is like so we picked a, a letter here letter there and letter and you could if you know it you can see it Oh. So you can see that there's one that's like slightly darker gray or what, but we, we wanted it to stand out more and it just turns out the printing production didn't work out, uh. but it was, if you look and find it, it says, fuck you, small town shit talkers. <laughs> and that's like, that's the kind of fun little like yeah. Easter shit or whatever. Like that's sort of just the stuff we do. Yeah. Like, there's a bunch of that for the new album. Like when the the cover gets released, like there's Easter eggs, like totally in the, the album cover. That's and awesome. that's, we, we do that kind of stuff just because it's fun for us to do that kind yeah. of stuff. And then also to like, if anyone ever figures it out, it's almost like it becomes sort of like a game or like, yeah. like the inside, like the oh, inside I group. Yeah. I know what they're, where this came from. Yeah. It's like, because I've always loved that shit. If, like, if I'm a fan of a band and oh, like, yeah. you learn, and I'm like, oh, cool. It's just such a fun. So the, the, 
the whole process for us is all about like keeping it fun. Yeah, totally, totally. And like, you know, going back to like the writing, like the synergy that you guys have when it comes to writing music together, but clearly like it extends beyond that. You guys are great friends. You can, you can just see it. And, and it shows in the stuff like the making of the video and how, how kind of, you know, the sillier feel of the video and then the Easter egg stuff like you're talking about now, like it just, the whole feel of that band. And again, going back to the chemistry thing, you guys are, you guys are a unit, you know what I mean? A a really well functioning unit and it shows in everything you do. That songwriting stuff you were talking about earlier was amazing because like, I've always sort of the stuff I write, I just write myself. I don't really work with anyone, but I like really envy people that have these writing partners where you can get together and really hash shit out and not, not feel weird about saying, Hey, I don't like that. Or, or that's weird. Let's change it. What if we do this? You know what I mean? And I've always kind of really been looking for someone like that. And I've never really found it. Um, because I don't, you know, I don't think of myself as a great songwriter. I, I can write little bits and pieces, but I really feel like I'm missing that that other piece you know what i mean and i hope i hope to find it one day because what you guys have is amazing but the classic sorry i was just gonna say that as far as the songwriting process and specifically you mentioned uh, the ability and the freedom to say uh no i don't know if i like that or whatever so we a long time ago you know there's in i think it's an improv where there's a saying where it's yes and yes and yeah so for us i was always like that's fucking bullshit like <laughs> and the reason why i'm not like i don't do improv so i'm not yeah. trying to shit no no we didn't adopt that because it's okay to say no or i don't like that but if someone makes a suggestion you have to try it yeah that was our rule was you have to try it you have to hear it you have to feel it the feeling is more important than hearing it yeah because like that's kind of what all of the songs the backbone is the feel of our songs the feel of playing it the feel of how it sounds the Mm. feel of like the tempo and tension and swing like that's a really big part of of our music yeah so we respect each other by like i can say i don't think that's gonna work or i I don't you know i i don't understand what you're saying or something like that Mm. so then you try it you and if you try it you have to try it however many times you agree on but it's like you have to try it before you can commit to the no because otherwise it's just like you might not think yeah might not think it works and it does work but you didn't try it so you don't know right anyway so like that's part of our process too where it's like i don't know but let's try it so then we try it and sometimes it may not work sometimes it may be like oh we're not playing it right or sometimes it's like ah it's not quite what i heard in my head Mm -hmm. or sometimes it's like holy shit that's a great idea yeah yeah work but i totally now i hear what you meant so mm-hmm. it's like that's part of the respect of each other in the songwriting process and and the ability to the freedom to say no with the respect of but we will try it i yeah. feel like that's that has helped us instead of yes and to me yes and feels inauthentic yeah it's like okay i, I know i hate that idea but yes yeah it's let's like, go with it <laughs> like that feels ugly like just be like honest about it yeah but also respectful sure of course of course the um um the bridge city sessions uh you talk about the swing in your music right like like i said one of the first songs i heard was we used to right and that the rhythms in that song you know going back to to john's work on the kit first of all it's insanely fast in some parts like i I was joking with my wife the first time i saw that i'm like hey you got to see something i'm like 
does it not look like this drummer's playing in like fast motion? <laughs> There's like a little part where, you know, like the bam, 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 like that part. And he's just, he's on the hi hat and it just looks like he's moving literally in fast motion. But yeah. all those rhythms are kind of, some of them are swung. Some of them are really just straight ahead real fast. You know what I mean? Like he does a lot of stuff and it just, the I've never like, I shouldn't say never, but like, I really like when a drummer really adds to the to the song you know like with his it's not just oh, yeah. a lot of straight ahead stuff it's got Definitely. very um authentic and creative parts you know what i mean and john certainly has that he's a lot like uh like another guy that's been on the podcast josh lewis from the band the bomb pops and murderland um i i credit him with that a lot too like just he does a lot of straight ahead stuff but a lot of his fills and everything are very creative and it's part of why i love those bands so much you know what i mean uh, oh, definitely. so he's, he might like, clearly you guys write the music, like the, you know, like the guitar parts and stuff together and, and stuff like that. But his drum parts are just, just as big of a part of what Cigar's sound is to me anyway. Yeah, without a doubt. I think the, and it's cool where, where you recognize that because there is, it's intentional. First and foremost, there's only three of us. Yeah. So yeah. by not like, if there was another guitar player, like it, there's a different palette and a different playground, but the having a drummer that writes musically and dynamically really does add a lot of just connectivity into the song and the song idea and, and, and the song momentum as far as like where it's headed. Yeah. It, it's also, so the, the downside is the amount of time it takes to do that because it's really detailed and we do that for every single section of the song. Yeah. We don't, we don't like write it a go like, here's how the verse goes. Here's how the chorus goes. Cool. The song's done. It's yeah. like, we'll lay out a structure, but then we go through each section of like the intro, the first section of the verse, the second section of the verse, the pre-chorus, the whatever. And like, yeah, we already scrutinize. What are you playing? What are you playing? What, what, what do you do there? Like John might intuitively play something. Okay. Then if you're adding an accent there, then I'll play an accent or vice versa. Oh, I didn't know that you were doing that on the guitar. I'll do that. Oh, you, so you mute there. Okay. So then I'll bring it down whatever. It's like mm -hmm. definitely work very tediously on all of the details that's another part of why it takes us so long to write music because yeah. like, we spend the time to to do that but when you hear the drums as a relevant musical instrument rather than this foundational kind of like tempo thing yeah it just adds so much more dynamics to the song oh and, like, yeah having the drums do such different things that complement the song part it yeah. just brings out such another element of not only tightness but just like punctuation in the parts 100 percent, yeah and then john's i think that his style or the style the era that we grew up in like when i started listening to punk rock in 1985 and like there was just a different drum beat that yeah. ben played and i was just having this conversation where we we there's like a certain modern punk beat where it's just kind of like this. Yeah. But we play more of a, like a, so it has that swing. It's more, yeah, it's like more a, swung. Yeah. And, and even at 220 beats per minute or whatever, like you still can feel the swing. Oh yeah. And, and I think that that part of as subtle as it is, it's a really important part and reason why the, the music feels how it feels. Right. And it's, it's very subtle, 
but when you think about it like if the fact that i called it out and if someone hears this and they listen to it then because i the person i was telling to this they i showed them examples and they're like whoa yeah they had no yeah. idea and actually i was talking to eric walsh who plays in authority zero now but he's he's from poor habit yeah we were just talking about music and he unprompted he said and I forgot what I said, but he said, it's because you guys have a swing, a certain specific swing. And I was like, holy shit. Like he, he gets it. <laughs> so he, and I, Cause I never told him, but he's like, you guys yeah. have a swing. And so I was like, I loved that he heard it and felt it and knew what the difference was with some of our songs. And right. so I was like realizing how important that kind of thing is mm -hmm. to a beat or to a feel of, of a song or like a, a rhythm. Cause like, again, I mentioned before, like, that we you hear a song but you also feel a song yeah and i think that's very important to us is how the song feels yeah and i th like you can tell like just in everything you guys have put out there definitely is a feel and it's like i said to you when we were sort of getting ready to do this podcast and all the stuff the messages back and forth uh, my whole thing is like there's a sound a specific sound to cigar that i love but part of that sound is is the feel, right? It, it just has a different feel than a lot of those more straight-ahead skate punk bands that, you know, were around back in the day and, and today. Um, sure. And, you know, there's like, like I said before, you have a great sense of, both of you have a great sense of melody. John's back, or, uh, backup vocals are, for a drummer that can sing backup vocals like that, pretty fucking awesome. While playing that kind of, those kind of fast punk beats, it's, yeah. it's impressive, you know what I mean? And, and it's part of why, like, you guys are quickly becoming one of my favorite all-time bands. And it's, uh, it's not for me to find new bands nowadays that I think are, that hit me that hard is rare. So I think you guys definitely have something very special. That's cool. Well, and I, I appreciate that. I, I also, it's funny because as you were talking, like I've played with John for a long time and I, I don't know if there's ever been a practice session, a recording session, or something where I didn't think, holy shit, from something John was playing yeah. or writing or doing. I think every single time we've been together on our instruments, there's been probably multiple, but at least one moment where I'm just yeah. like, holy shit, just what he's doing, just totally blown away because I play music with him, but I'm also just a fan of what he does. Right. And like, I play very, very basic drums. John and I will switch just for fun. He'll take oh, guitar yeah. and play like Green Day songs and whatever and just fuck around. But like the way he plays so naturally and I'll say effortlessly, like, yes, there is effort, but like you hear the tempos he's playing and like that's, yeah. even, even if it's just a straightforward beat, like I'll think about what he's doing and it's just like, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane to me how fast he can play and like what, what he really can, can do on that kit. And, and again, like he's not playing a big kit. You know what I mean? He's got a snare and a, and a tom and a floor tom and a kick and he gets yeah. such a crazy sound out of it. And it's, it, he's doing so much with so little. And you think a drummer with that kind of skill would want a big kit with lots of parts and, but he, there he is making it work with that and making it sound amazing. You know, you know, it's kind of funny because I think part of the minimalism came from seeing Derek from Lagwagon mm -hmm. um, 
they were John's old band way back in the day. I hope I, I, hope I tell the story correctly, but I, as I remember, John's band, the Circus Dance, were playing with Lagwagon, and so they were there for sound check, and they were hearing Derek playing on the drums, and John was like very impressed, very blown away by his playing mm. for, for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. But John went to go see what he was doing, and there was a single kick drum pedal. And John, at the time, when he was a lot younger, was playing with the double kick pedal. Yeah. And after hearing what Derek was doing and seeing him do it, John was like, no double pedal. And so ever since then, because of Derek, he went to single kick pedal. And it, it's kind of the mindset of doing more with less. And so it's almost like this philosophical shift yeah. in, in the playing. Because when we record Speed is Relative, John used to have two rack tones, and now he's got just one. So gradually, as, and same thing, we had more cymbals. Like, wow taking stuff away as time is gone. Uh, yeah, that's unusual too. Like subtracting as time <laughs> goes on and not adding because as like yeah. a, a gear addict, you know, as you can see by like, I, I just want to collect all the guitars and all the amps and stuff. And so, and of course I, I can't, but uh, you know, the idea of subtracting as you go along <laughs> is so foreign to me. You'd think you'd want more and more pieces to your kit. I don't know if it was a deliberate choice or sometimes it's like, I don't want to take as much gear around, but even when we're writing and practicing, he's, his kit's minimal. So like at home, he has more stuff he could set up, but sure. that's just the way the, the setup is now. Yeah. And then for me, like when I play shows, I'll just take a, a basic tuner pedal like this thing. And just like, that's what I use on stage. I just like basic old tuner pedal and set up and i right here next to me i do have other pedals mm. i'll have like a drive pedal or this whatever like at home it's a different story but yeah. when i part of it for me is like because we don't have a roadie or we don't have i mean productions right. rudy's a fantastic partner of all he's part of our our circle but mm. um but i set up my own stuff is kind of what i was getting at like i set up my own guitar stuff and whatever and so like Part of it, because I used to play with a wah pedal, and I stopped because a lot of times we, we fly to play shows, and I use a wah pedal on two leads from the album. So I'm like, I'm taking this big pedal, yeah, fly with it for these two parts. So I just stopped bringing that, and I was like, just less stuff. It's easier and faster to set up, set changeover, all this stuff. Yeah. So just out of necessity, I just started cutting my gear. Now I'm talking about one pedal, so it's not a big deal. But right. I don't know if that was a deliberate choice for John or for simplicity, but that's kind of the evolution. And for me, it's like, like I have, like that's my dual rectifier over there. I bought mm -hmm. 19, 1996. It's the same amp I've had since forever where it's like, and I still like, that's the choice for me. It's like, I still, I, I investigate tones and I try different pedals and whatever, but it's like, I'm also kind of like, Give me a dual rectifier and either a 412 or a 212, like, and a tuning pedal, and like, I'll just play a show or I'll yeah. just play a whole tour or whatever. And yeah. so, like, kind of there's a, a satisfaction in having the simplicity and knowing what works for me. But at the same time, like, the last show we played, I took a, a Rev G3 distortion pedal yep. and then a Seymour Duncan Power Stage 170 solid state amp and yep. then we borrowed, borrowed a uh, guitar cabinet from aj from uh, guttermouth and voodoo glow skulls and hit the switch super cool dude yeah like, yeah hooked us up let us use the cabinet and it, it sounded great and it was just this minimal setup so yep. i can actually fly with like 
take a bag like this. I just throw this. Wow. <laughs> sometimes I don't even take all of this, but like I'll just take this pouch here yeah. and like that's the pedal I used. And then I put it into like a power amp and just yeah. create new. And then when we're practicing, I use this cabinet emulator and we, and we just go direct to a digital mixer and we use in ear monitors. So we don't have like if somebody walks in, in the room to hear us play, they don't hear any guitar, they don't hear any bass, just drums. They don't hear any singing, they only hear drums. Wow. But we in our inners, we, we hear everything. And yeah. So, but part of that was done again for simplicity. It was like, wait, yeah. this is actually going to be easier. John was like, I don't want to disturb my neighbors if we're practicing for six hours. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Whatever. And so, like, having only the drums instead of everything just is easier as sure. far as not bothering the neighbors. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. So, whittling stuff nice sure like i have to fly with gear and what and i might just start leaving stuff at john's house because that's kind of where i use it yeah, but right. the point is is like really just going for functionality yeah because i know there's there's plenty of people that use and i'm i almost wish i could be this guy where it's like you got this pedal board where it's just like this this is like i wouldn't even know what to do with all that shit no especially for our, our sound is like cause, and another thing is i used to have a pedal that would switch channels on the dual rectifier to go like the beginning of show me like right on right top, like clean ish slight breakup but just like a cleaner yep. tone and we punch in and like now i just play distorted the whole time same yeah. thing where it's like i don't want it's another thing i have to set up yes to bring a fly with to this that and i think john gets a little bit like no you should do that because dynamically this and but for me it's like i just want it to be simple yeah <laughs> i'm the same way you and i are on the like exact same page on that like for me it's always been since I could afford a good amp, it's been a 5150 in some iteration or another. I used to have a head. Now I have a 212 cab. Well, that's the EVH 5150, but I'm talking about the oh, old yeah, PV 5150. Yeah. Oh, got it. Yeah. I yeah. had a, back in the day, I had a PV 5150, 120 watt head, way too much with a Marshall 412, way too much for anything we ever played, any show we ever played. And and then I sold it. And then now I have a, this, the same amp, but in a 212 60 watt version, right? And And it's it's a pig. It's a hundred pounds. It never leaves my house really. If we play shows it, you know, uh, it's the only yeah. time, but, uh, but I know exactly what you're saying. There's something to be said for plugging into the amp and then just having your tuner and maybe a drive pedal for some lead stuff. And that's it, you know, letting the amp do the work. Like there's something to be said for that, but of course, and for the listeners, that bag you showed me was what, maybe two feet by a foot by a foot kind of thing. And there's yeah. something to be said for being able to travel with just that. <laughs> you know what yes. I mean? Yes mono tick bag or whatever it is yeah. and i've i've flown with that and then but the last time i didn't even take that with me i just took the pedals and put them in the, the front pouch I yes use, i use a mono case when i fly i'm not endorsed by them i'm not trying to push right. their name or it's just that i found a couple bags I, and specifically dave nassie told me about that company and so i was like all right that works so I, it's a hell of an endorsement from dave nassie <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I used to take guitar lessons from Dave for like oh, wow. three, four years, whatever. So like, oh shit! Like, and obviously that guy knows quite a bit of yes. what he's doing. <laughs> yes. highly, highly proficient and super, super nice guy. Actually, I really like that guy. I would love but, to talk so, to him, but I can never get a hold of him. He never writes back. And and I, hey, you know, I I'm still a fan. I, I if I ever get a chance to talk to him, it'd be awesome. But he is an amazing guitar player, and and I do follow I, him on all the I'm socials. Guessing He's not, he's probably not intentionally. Ignoring. No, he's I don't think so. Busy. Yeah, he yeah, is. Busy, busy dude. 
but yeah so he told me about the, the mono stuff and i think hiski uses mono stuff too and so it's like sometimes especially flying there's a limited amount of space so it's like i might not even take that tick bag and i'm just put whatever i need and then we've just found this little system that's working especially now when i can take the little power amp with me and it's just so nice because like it's it sounds incredible i'm not yeah. a purist like i'll use a digital emulator or whatever for recording i use software for recording and like a guitar emulator software like i'm not i, I know some people are like it's got to be tube amp like i, I love tube amps yeah. don't get me wrong but like if you're flying to play shows like i'm not taking my tube amp with me <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i'll I'd... borrow an amp or whatever but i found a way to make it so it's like cool i have this cabinet emulator that sounds good and then i just buy irs to like there's a yep. couple companies I bought and like have this decent library of irs and the distortion pedal like that rev pedal's beautiful like I oh yeah with them, like oh yeah it makes me want one of their yeah heads but like i've also learned or am learning to use what i have and not just keep buying more shit, buying yeah. more shit. like i've got plenty of shit now already that yeah. I, I i need to use more of so I've kind of gotten into this habit of like stop buying shit. Now, with that said, I, I still like obviously have multiple guitars, yeah. but that was partly because when I was younger, I just didn't have money. I couldn't afford it. And so I just played whatever I had. Thankfully, I did have that Les Paul studio. So that was a great USA made. Yes. Awesome guitar. That's if I had to get rid of all my guitars and keep one, that's the one I would keep. Yeah. I, I don't even have to think about it yeah so i love that guitar i was always hung up on like no it's not a standard it doesn't look like you know like this standard behind me yeah. that i have now like but now later on many years later i realized like studios are amazing guitars like yep. so it was kind of like i i had the wrong mentality like just because it wasn't a standard doesn't mean it was an inferior guitar it's just a different guitar yeah i love my studio so it's just like yeah and then, and then I had like Epiphones and kind of like, I, I like Epiphones too, but yep. like I just had a bunch of cheaper guitars. Mm -hmm. And so when I, you know, and as an adult and I, part of it also was like, okay, I've, I've put in decades playing guitar, like I've earned these. So then I ended yep. up buying nicer guitar and just like allowing myself to experience, like, I think I ended up getting this, this Paul Reed Smith. I bought the, the, the one I showed you earlier yeah. that, and made one mm -hmm. i bought that and i was like whoa i actually really like this yeah didn't expect to like it as much as i did so then i was like what if they're if this one's good made in korea i'm gonna try a usa made one yeah. and then i bought that one mm -hmm. and i found the s2 bought that used and same thing like when i first played it it felt like a guitar i did i played for like 20 yes. years yes so like right when i play i was like holy shit it was like connected with it so then I was also like, I like how light it is. Yep. It sounds yep. good. So then I just started making it my like main touring and stage guitar. And so like, that's what I've been playing since. Those, those S twos are exactly like just, just what you just described. That's exactly why I bought my S two. Uh, I picked it up and it just had like the neck just felt like something that I'd, like you said, owned forever. It was so familiar. Yeah, it was totally. the perfect blend of like a, a thick chunky fifties Les Paul and then a thinner, uh, like bender it was something in between and i was just like wow yeah, it, this it is amazing this, it does have that mysterious kind of like it, like like you described like it can feel thick but it also has the, a slender feel yeah. it's it when if someone's hearing this they'll be like that doesn't yeah they don't sense. they don't get it 
it's you have to feel it and when you feel it it makes sense i actually own two of them i have yeah. one down downstairs also that and it like it's just because they're especially because of how low cost they are a lot of people assume like when they think paul reed smith it's like oh well, only lawyers or rich people buy those no. like like the s2 line is amazing. great yeah it's great and if you change yeah, the pickups that. in it like if you put a jb in the bridge or something like that it'd be totally. even better yeah, so that's I've just been using that as my stage guitar. It's funny too because when at home that black guitar, I don't, I rarely ever play it at home, but I play it when we're touring. That's right. like my stage guitar or whatever. Like I don't even know where it is. I think it's in <laughs> the garage in the bag. I think I just left yeah. it in. Well, I, when you have multiple other other guitars around, like when you have an arsenal to choose from, you know you don't always have to have them all <laughs> all out and laying around accessible. You know. Yeah, so like that Les Paul behind me, that Les Paul Standard Fifties. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I'll if that will ever leave the house. Maybe if I record or something. I I genuinely bought it just because it's like I want one of my dream guitars. Yeah. And so I saved up and whatever and yeah. bought it. So I just play it for me. I don't have to be on stage to show that I have it. That's not why I bought it. Right. I bought it because like. It's just an incredible, like, yeah, of art, really, is what. Yeah. And and, but I waited a long time because I was like, oh, it's expensive, blah blah blah. And then after a while, I was like, but like, that's where I justify, like, well, I've put in my time, I've earned it. And like, yeah. And sure, that might be some sort of limiting mindset, but it was more like, I felt very justified when it was like, okay, I'm gonna get one. Yeah. And it was. Such a, like opening the case when I first got it because it's got a triple A top and I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's such a good feeling to see that. They are a piece, like they are a work of art, and that's why I try to hang my guitars. And I only have the three hangers in this room. I used to have uh, five or six in our old place, but we moved here. I just recently set up this room as my sort of studio room last year, and so I have these three hangers, and I just I rotate what's up there because I like walking in here, even if I'm not going to sit down and play, even if I'm coming just to record a podcast or whatever it's art on the wall. You know what I mean? They, they're beautiful. Oh, yeah. And even, even the plain ones are beautiful to me. You know what I mean? There's the yeah. curvature of them and the carved tops and the Les Pauls and all that stuff. I love it. Yeah, no, I tell you, and I have more guitars downstairs. I'll do the same thing where it's like, Oh, I haven't played this one for a while. And then I'll take it. So I might, I have a white S2 with tortoise shell. So I, that was hanging on the wall here the other day. And I took it downstairs just to play it. So yeah. I've been playing that and writing some new songs, just using that. Nice. And then I got, I have a like an SG. It's, a, it's like a '61 reissue, whatever. Oh, I wow. got like two years ago. Same thing where it's like I don't know if I'll ever. I'm scared to travel back. <laughs> the headstocks break off. So I, <laughs> yeah. But I got it for myself just to write and play at home, just to even enjoy. If I never even record with it, so be it. Like it's just that kind of like the joy. And I really love for for me a guitar is all about how does it feel first. So going back to that 100%. S2, where it's like. When I felt it, I was like, oh, this is totally the guitar for me. I have a, a Made in Mexico Fender Stratocaster. The white one, I, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the white one. And it was I bought it for $275 used. Wow. And it's one of my favorite guitars. Yeah. It just has that feeling. Yeah. I love it. It's, I actually bring it as my backup. I yeah. brought it to Japan, and I was, like, sound checking with that guitar. When we played with Pennywise, like, I had it in my bag as my backup guitar. But every once in a while, like, maybe I should just play this as my main guitar but I and that's so all that is to say like hmm. it's a, a foreign made which again I like foreign made guitars. yeah who I cares I hang up about that 
like it's but it's basically it's a cheap guitar or at least it, i bought it for cheap i mm. did upgrade the pickups i bought a fully loaded seymour duncan with cts pots and all that stuff so oh, like, wow. I, I did upgrade it but even with the upgrade it's less than 500 bucks for yeah. this guitar yep it's one of my favorite guitars like a, a guitar does not have to be expensive to be a, like appreciated loved and and a, like very significant part of your musical journey and yeah. so like i still like like again epiphones i sold an epiphone and like not even that long after i was like shit why did yeah. i sell it yeah like eventually i'll probably get another epiphone but yeah. i just if it feels good i like it and then because yeah. you you can change how it sounds like you That's said right. you can change all of the electronics you can change the tuning machines all that stuff yep. so if it doesn't have i i used to have a white sg a 2017 white sg i sold it because it did not have the feeling i was mm-hmm. looking for it sucks. It was painful to sell it because I really wanted to have a white SG. Yeah, I like I like, I like white, white SGs too. Me too. Yeah, and then they're hard to find. They are. I every time I played it, I was like, I just don't connect with it. So I sold it. And like it would be beautiful to hang on the wall, but like I do play my guitars. All I play all of them. Yep, me too. And so like one when I stopped playing it because it just didn't have that connection, I was like, I should just yeah. sell it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, then a couple of years later, I ended up getting the other the sg it's kind of the vintage cherry or whatever yep. that one has the feeling so i'm like oh good <laughs> yeah and it'd be nice like there's nothing like a white sg with the with that black guard on it they just look so like fucking sexy it's such a cool guitar yeah. you know what i mean i'll probably end up getting another one yeah. some way like down the road or whatever just because like yeah. like it's like it just has that look to it but yep. it has to have the feeling it's gotta have that feeling yeah i just I don't have any expensive guitars because of, like you said, like nothing I've ever played that's been real expensive has felt as good as some of my cheaper guitars. You know what I mean? Like like this Les Paul here is is a studio. It's a, just a 50s tribute studio model. It felt so good when I played it. I like a fat neck was what I've come to figure out. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I prefer it. I can play anything, but I prefer a fatter neck. And the most expensive guitar in my collection is that S2, which was only like 1300 bucks Canadian or something. It's not a lot of money. And one of my yeah. favorites, it's funny that you say that that Strat that is Mexican made, one of my favorite guitars right now that I've been playing a lot and recording a lot with is my uh, my Made in Mexico Strat. It's a Sienna Sunburst. It was a Guitar Center special run that somehow ended up in Canada in this guy's hands. And he sold it to me for like 600 bucks Canadian, which was a good deal at the time for a used Made in Mexico guitar. And it's fucking yeah. great. I've played $2,000, $2,500 American made uh, Strats that I don't like as much as mine. You know, and I put a JB in the bridge. It sounds fantastic. What more could you ask for? You know? Yeah, I, I have a JB in mind too. Same thing where it's like, I was actually, at the time, I went through this phase of just buying guitars on Craigslist and like kind of polishing them up or whatever yep. and doing just basic stuff. Maybe change a pick guard, whatever, just like little steel wool on the frets just to shine them up, something, whatever. And then I would just flip a guitar. And it yep. was just for fun. It was, it was a way I could actually just play guitars and I'm like, oh, and now I've, I've played this, and now I've played that, and then just move on. I was expecting to flip that Fender Strat, and I got it, and it had that magic feeling. And I was like, oh, my God. And so I was like, I'm keeping this. Yeah. And I've, yeah. I've had it ever since. Like I said, like now when I, I took it to Japan as my backup guitar, and it's just like it is, it's an important guitar in my collection. Yeah. And, and the cost has nothing to do with it. It just has that feeling. I was laughing again while you were saying that because – Again, that is something that I also do. I, if I see a deal on something, and, and my wife knows, like, God bless her. She, <laughs> I've told her now no more, like, one guitar in, one guitar out kind of thing. But she understands if I see a deal, 
it's not even a conversation. Like if I know it's a good deal, I'm going to buy it just to try the thing. Even like, even if I haven't played it, I'll tell the person, I'll take it just based on the price. I'll play it because I know if I get it and play it and don't like it, guess what? I can sell it probably for more than what I paid or at least get what sure. I paid. So there's yeah. no harm, no foul, right? But she's been super good about letting me experiment in that way. But I've come to this smallish collection of about, I don't know, eight or nine electrics and one acoustic that just cover all the bases, you know, Mexican made telly and, and this, this Mexican made P bass and just things like that. And now I kind of have this, but nothing is really expensive. I would love a standard, but again, for me, for the kind of player I am, is it even worth me getting it? Yeah. To look at it on the wall and, and admire it and worship it. Sure. But for my actual playing skills, I don't know if it's warranted. <laughs> You know what I, mean? I don't know. Like, so I used to think that way, but now it's more like if, if that's something that you like and enjoy and appreciate, it doesn't matter. Even yeah. if you never play it, like I, if you buy a standard and it hangs on the wall for the rest of your life, but you love it, buy it. Then like, don't deny, like you don't have to be a good player to enjoy something like yeah. that. I know people that, that have guitars that they rarely play them. And it's like, there's no judgment there. It's no. like everybody has their their different. Like I own uh, two motorcycles and I've barely ridden them. Yeah, where yeah. I used to ride them all the time, but it's like I'll ride them eventually. And yeah. it's like I don't have this guilt about like oh I, I should sell them because I haven't ridden them very much. It's like no, I still love the 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 motorcycles. Yeah. So it's like they're they're part of just things I like. Yeah, and and appreciate and enjoy. So like. If it's this might even sound weird where there's times i'll go in the, the down to the garage and like i'll just look at the motorcycles because they're just like yeah they're beautiful machines and I, they're just amazing and i did that when i had mine too in the winter like obviously like where i live it you know it's fucking minus 20 today uh celsius i don't know what that is in fahrenheit it's probably like you know four degrees or something fahrenheit or some crazy thing like that but whatever it is it's painful it's painful and i could not obviously i could not ride my motorcycles i had two at at one point i had a suzuki drz now you're into the harley kind of stuff right more the cruiser style but yeah, I, had, I have two you, harleys you have two harleys and i just i had two bikes i had the, the drz supermoto bike and at, and at the same time i had a, a honda cbr 600 double r right but I, you can't ride those in the winter it's just it's too cold it's yeah. too snowy so I would just, same thing, I would go to the garage, I would wipe them down, wipe the dust off, and just look at them and just appreciate them for the, you know, the engineering that was in those things, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So you got the two Harleys in the in the garage, you're not, you said you're not doing much riding these days, or? I'm not, because I'm working from home, and I used to commute with them, uh, and, then, and then obviously with the, I think most people know that Oregon's known for rain yes. and all that stuff, so seasonally, it's just not the season to ride, but right. I, I feel like I will be riding more this next summer because it's kind of like the the appreciation. Same thing with like snowboarding. I haven't gone snowboarding in four years, but I saw my snowboard in the garage the other day. And I was like, maybe it's time to get back out there. And it's just because it's like, it is something that I've loved and appreciated. And it's part yeah. of who I am. And like, so it's, I've thought about that. Like I, I've, I've taken some fun trips riding, um, Riding the motorcycle, one took one of them down to the Fat Records 25th anniversary. Yeah, I saw that on your Instagram. Yeah, and so it's like, and and that was a bucket list ride because we we went down. I went with Jay Walker, who used to work with No Effects a lot, and so it's like he loves motorcycles also. So it was just fun to go ride a longer ride with somebody that like loves and appreciates uh, the motorcycles also, and we went down on I five for a ways, then we cut over to the 101 and just took like 
riding a motorcycle on the, the 101 is totally like that's a bucket list ride because we just went from like southern Oregon all the way through down to San Francisco and it was like riding through the redwoods and just like it, having that experience and it was we spent the night in like Crescent City or something like that and it was just waking up and then having some coffee and putting your gear on and just getting back on the motorcycle and just start riding and it's yeah. just beautiful on the coast and you're coming around a corner and it, it opens up and you see the ocean it's just like it's totally one of those experiences yeah. and so it's like that that's where the love of the motorcycle where i'm just like okay it's time to get back and start yeah. riding that i always wanted to do a ride like that when i had bikes and I, it never happened because i never had the right riding buddies for it like my old boss and uh another uh supervisor where i worked back uh you know about five or maybe seven years ago now they took a trip on uh on there, well, the one guy had a, a Goldwing and the other guy had like one of those BMW type cruisers. I don't know what it was. And they went all the way up to Alaska and back from Ontario to Alaska and back. And it took about wow. two weeks. And yeah. I was always like, man, I want to do a ride like that. But I just didn't have the right people. You, you got to have the buddies for it. You know what I mean? And that's kind of why I got rid of my yeah. bikes. There, there's definitely people that ride by themselves doing like there's a guy that, that I know that he, he'll take a long ride by himself. But I'm with you where it's like I I like I, I took another ride. It was not an overnight ride, but I, I took it was probably like a seven or eight hour ride. And I did it by myself. And I agree, like it's just more fun to ride with somebody else. And we yeah. didn't have like headsets. We can't talk to each other while we're riding. But when you stop, yeah, and like it's just like you have your buddy time, like refueling and yep. laughing. And then there's a couple sections where we we definitely rode with uh, a spirited vibe and it's like <laughs> Just railing corners and coming down the mountain then we we pull in this gas station take off our helmets and look at each other and just start laughing yeah. just yeah. like yeah, that was pretty crazy and, yeah. but it's, that is something that's like when you have someone to share that with it's just so fun and then on the way home stopping off in crater lake and seeing the beauty there and then we just stopped and met up with some just random other motorcyclists and we're talking as a group just like it's such a fun cool like camaraderie to have that Hundred percent, hundred percent. Listen, man, I've had you on this line now for over two hours. Believe it or not, uh, I'm having an amazing time talking to you. I'm not going to get to ask you. That. I st- I still have like at least the same amount of stuff we've talked about. I, I could cover another same amount, another two hours with you. But I respect that you gave me this much time, and I and I appreciate it. Um, I think that's a good place to end it. But I'd love to have you guys back. Uh, like maybe you and John can come back when you release the new sure, album. Yeah. Love to yeah. talk to you both about the new album and and get into into the weeds and that a little bit more. Very cool. Yeah, we can do that. Nice. Good. Well, listen, don't go away. I want to say a proper goodbye to you. Uh, I'm just going to do a quick little wrap up here and then uh, and then I'll say goodbye to you before we get off the call here. Uh, so that's it, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the I Got Ask podcast. Um, Rami Cram, thank you very much for being here, man. It was a pleasure having you. Um, everybody, please follow the show on the social media accounts. Uh, Facebook, not so much these days, but the Instagram account. You can also follow my personal uh, Instagram, which is Olsurly, O-L underscore S-U-R-L-Y. Uh, do me a solid and share the show, like it and review it wherever you listen would be a big help to me. And, uh, and I, again, I appreciate all you listeners out there who continue to come back episode after episode, stick with me. Got a lot more coming up in uh, the coming months. Thanks everybody. Take care.